I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're here Monday morning live on YouTube. Appreciate everybody for being here. And uh, we're going through all of the NFL. That's right. We're halfway through. We previewed the, the two Eastern divisions and the two divisions in the North last week. Today, it's the, or this week, South and the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. South yeah. of now. It's the South. Yeah. Everybody's favorite divisions. I mean, full disclosure, fewer people listen, watch the South episodes or listen. It's just what it is. Yeah. We see the numbers. Come on, South fans. Well, there's quite a few bad teams in the South, which doesn't help. Well, not this year. Not this Cause year. Because it's training camp time. We're all positive. We're all looking forward. So we're going to bring some, I mean, I'll bring a positive spin on the South while mm-hmm. you trash them. That's what we do here. That's what we do here in the PFF NFL podcast. Steve hammering the overs in every AFC. Over, NFL. over. Jaguars, Texans, doesn't Texans matter. Texans are winning eight games. Over on everybody. Uh, before we get in, don't forget the charity drive to see Sam try to throw the ball 60 miles an hour. We actually got some donations now after a desperate appeal last time. I could probably sneak you on to Great American in a couple weeks. If we can get this done by next Friday, I'll mm. sneak you on for my Major League debut at Great American Ballpark. I see. And we'll just get the gun going and, and we'll go from there. There we are. Look, Look at that, up to 757 out of 22,500. Yeah. Again, Randy Johnson. Martin. You were saying people were asking how much we were donating to this. I, I made the comment, the first charity drive that we did, I did match it. So yeah, I did match, you match it. I've donated every, to every single drive we've had. Yeah. Just so that's the for answer. the record. Yeah. I could circle back on a couple of the others as well. I mean, you, I just, you know, match the first one. I, I went all in on the first yeah. one, you know. But anyway, the point being, we do donate to these things. We don't just be like, hey, give us money. And even, it's not us, give people money. Yeah. So exactly. we're donating as well. We're in it. Um, and for this one in particular, we'll have some kind of bet on the back end of it about whether or not I hit 60. If I do, you have to donate a larger amount of money. If I don't, I have to. Yeah, that's where our donations are, are coming in. So anyway, the, my pinned tweet is where you'll find it. Also in the description of this video somewhere, Tyler will throw the link. Uh, we're donating to a group called Needs Inc. who do create, well not create, who provide, there you go, that's the word I'm looking for, service dogs to people. Uh, because apparently a service dog costs upwards of $17,000 and then another 40000 to train the thing if you need one. So We're just trying to put a dent in that. Well, yeah, obviously most people don't have that kind of money sitting around when they're in need of a service dog. So that's where Needs steps in. All right. Well, you ready to get into it? Mm-hmm. So appreciate it. So uh, at PFF underscore Sam, that's your, that is your pin tweet. Yes. Or the description of the video or possibly the description of the audio, depending. I don't know if they put it there or how 
awkward that is to get to, but it's around. You'll find it. Yeah, you know? you'll find the link. Go get it. I retweeted it out the other day. Let's get that thing cranking and see if Sam can throw 60 and uh, help some people along the way. All right, let's go. AFC South, we're starting with the Houston Texans and what to expect this year for the Texans. I think at the very least, Sam, we're talking about a team that has some better football players this year than they did last year. You could say maybe they, they overachieved a little bit. Head coaching change. You got Lovey Smith coming in officially, taking over. They played tough at times last year. They looked pretty bad at other times. Davis Mills looked good for a third rounder. It's it's this weird dynamic where if, if he was in this year's draft, maybe he would have been a first rounder and expectations would be different for Davis Mills. Rather, you know, he goes basically one year of college, he goes from overachieving third rounder to potential first rounder with higher expectations. So what are your initial thoughts on the Texans here in 2022? Yeah, it's an interesting like discussion point about whether, uh, like if you're Davis Mills, what's better for his career the year that he just had in the NFL of like surprising people on a bad Texans team and looking comparable to the first round picks of, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, et cetera. Or if he'd stayed in college, had a really good final year, you know, done a Kenny Pickett, right? Had a really good final season in college, propelled his draft stock forward, been presumably the best quarterback prospect in this draft, or at least comparable with Kenny Pickett, uh, gone in the first round, and now heads into this season, like maybe goes in the first round of the Texans, and now goes into this season as the start, which is better for Davis Mills. I, I mean, probably what he, did, what he did, right? Having the year of NFL experience, okay, you're on less money as a rookie, but if you have any kind of future in the NFL, this is probably the best way to do it. Get the experience, get your feet wet on a bad team, and then try and grow with them. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think especially in this hyped-up quarterback class last year, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and all those guys, you know, being being right there with those guys other than Mac Jones from a, from a performance standpoint is probably better for Davis Mills going forward here. I, although I will say the uh, draft round, draft capital does does stay with you. You're forever a third rounder, yeah. you know, I, rather I, than being forever a first rounder where other teams are like, sure, I'll, of course I'll kick the tires on a former first rounder. Yeah, you know, and it, gets to that point. it also changes opportunity. I mean, this is Davis Mills' one shot at this. Like, he has this year, and that's it. It is. And look, so the Texans, they're over-under still four and a half. It's one of the lowest, if not the lowest, in the NFL. Even if the roster's moving in the right direction, and I love the fact that they went with Derek Stingley at number three overall and went to you know try to hit home run with that pick we're still talking about a roster with an uphill battle right now and, and davis Mill, so he gets this year and that's it and remember he doesn't get last year unless tyra taylor doesn't get hurt again true you know what i mean like tyra taylor they he was looking good for a couple of weeks then wrecked his hamstring and then davis mills gets an opportunity and then x number of games into the season it's like well what's the point going back you might as well give the rest of the year to davis mills and let's see what we have here but because he was a third rounder as opposed to a first he needed that luck to even get on the field otherwise we would have never seen davis mills poor tyrod i mean essentially 2018 he's struggling with the browns baker mayfield takes over for him 2020 the doctor stabs him before week one and then justin herbert takes over and then 2021 he gets hurt and davis mills takes over you know tyrod's career just uh, just not moving in the right direction here the doctor stabs him yeah yeah that's what happened right before week one with the it Chargers. is i mean oh, whatever week two whatever week a, that was. a known complication with a needle in terms of giving him an injection has a slightly different slant on it than the doctor stabbed him 
you know, it's going to be taken a number of different ways. I told the truth. Yeah. The truth, the truth was laid out yeah. on what happened with Tyrod. Yeah. All right. So I want to give the quick history of the Houston Texans here. The quick too. history. The quick history. Houston like, how did Texans. we get here? This is how these podcasts end up over two and a half hours. It'll be quick. You want to give a 30 seconds. A how, did the te- history how did the Texans of the get franchise here? of the Houston Texans? The Deshaun Watson era with the Houston Texans was going all right. But the Texans, as they started to trade away all of their good players, DeAndre Hopkins and Jadavian Clowney and all this fun stuff. And they, they just got worse. All their players went away and they didn't get enough in return. So the last time they made the playoffs was 2019. And even then, the Texans had a rough roster. You know, Watson played pretty well. The secondary was terrible. They, were, they started to fall apart. 2020, Watson plays well. The rest of the roster is bad enough that they win four games. And then last year, Nick Casario comes in, new regime. They gutted the whole thing. They added every single mid-level special teamer, and that was their roster last year. And now it's supposed to be on the upswing. All right, is that a quick synopsis? The roster's been bad, and it's slightly on the upswing, but there's a ways to go. I'm just happy we didn't start at David Carr. Yeah, let's all go back to David Carr getting sacked 76 times as a rookie. Mm. And it's been all downhill since then. I mean, it's only been good when Matt Schaub's been there, really. Yeah, Matt Schaub, Andre Johnson, they had a little run. Yeah, a couple other other teams. Anyway, they're on their way back a little bit. Who's good on the Texans? <laughs> Laramie Tunzel. Excuse me. Uh, Brandon Cooks. Oh, you remember we were talking about this on the Daily, which is back, by the way. If you're waiting oh, for the yeah, NFL yeah. Daily, PFF NFL Daily, it's back. First episode today. Go and get it. Um, I, we were saying that, you know, if you curate the correct Twitter feed, you can find plays of pretty much anybody. Case in point, I saw a Chris Conley catch in the in red zone drills, you know, for the Texans making a snag. So... Pretty much anybody's got a good highlight play out there somewhere if you're a wide receiver. Um, Okay, good players. Brandon Cooks is good. Uh, Has been good pretty much everywhere. For some reason, keeps getting traded, but must remain good anyway. Laramie Tunsil is good, though he's not coming off a particularly good season. Uh, Jerry Hughes is always good, despite being very old as a pass rusher. I think Jonathan Grenard is good, even though he's working on a really small sample size from last year. What he showed was deserving of a much bigger role, and I think he'll get one this year. Then we'll find out. I think Derek Stingley is good, but he's a rookie, so we'll have to see how that pans out year one. That's kind of it, though. So what does success look like this year for the Texans? See, this is the thing. This year is like a free year for them. They haven't started this thing yet. The... They, they were treading water for a while since Nick Azario took over because they couldn't get rid of Deshaun Watson. The whole, all of his legal stuff was hanging over him. They couldn't get rid, they couldn't trade him. He was, they had to burn last year. Like he was active. They just had him sitting on the sideline doing nothing. In training camp, in practice, like he was there. He wasn't on any kind of commissioner's list or anything. He was there. And they just went, no, burned a year. They finally got, got him traded this offseason, uh, and get all the draft capital, get the contract off the books, all these kinds of things. But it was so late in the day that they didn't get a chance to do anything with that. So the first evidence of them doing anything with the with starting this project, I guess, was the draft with Derek Stingley, et cetera. So that was their first moves. But next year is when they're actually going to start you know, deploying 
real spending money and free agents and, and all this kind of stuff. This year is kind of just a like it's it's just oh, let's just see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to see those rookies play well. You know, Stingley. I, uh, speaking of training camp hype, I did tweet the video of him basically running the fade route for the receiver. If you slow it down, he's literally moving before the receiver did for whatever it's worth. It looked great. I mean, look, showed off his athleticism. He picks it off. Stingley looking like a potential star. Jalen Petre uh, probably, you know, having some time at safety and looking like he belongs. Kenyon Green will step into the starting lineup almost assuredly at probably a left guard. I mean, if you're coming away with three starters from that draft class, uh, my guy Obo Okoronkwo as a guy that's been uh, a reserve as an edge defender for the Rams for the majority of his career, can he step up and show that he's worth more playing time against Jonathan Grennard, who's been who's broken out as a as a decent player these last couple of years i think it's just sprinkling in all of these players across the roster and saying all right we've got a nucleus now right this year i think it's it's nucleus year who is the nucleus for the houston texans that they're then going to build upon going forward last year you couldn't say that right last year because everybody was on a one or two year deal for two to three million dollars and nobody was a part of the nucleus because they were either gone they're already gone or they're just, you know, they're a backup, right? They're backup level. And it was it was culture-changing year last year. Now it's nucleus building year. Yeah, I mean, having a great draft class would help this this thing no end. Like if they if they had one of those draft class, like the the Seahawks in 2012, you know, where they found like a nucleus of three or four guys that were gonna be really important players to this team going forward. If the Texans were able to combine what they did last year and then this year had a really great draft, like if Derek Stingley is that true elite number one corner. If Kenyon Green is a, a good quality starting guard for them, uh, if Jalen Petrie ends up being a good safety, we're not going to see John Mechie because of his leukemia diagnosis for this year. But like if they if those three guys hit and you know Davis Mills actually does take a step forward, and it turns out they actually have their quarterback or Nico Collins, I thought looked good as a rookie. I, I quite liked him coming out as well. If Nico Collins emerges as a number two opposite Brandon Cooks, and all of a sudden you've got a receiving group that you can start to work with, that would propel this thing forward at a massive rate of knots. If they come out of this year and none of those things have happened, or maybe one of those things has happened, now you're looking at a roster and it's like, all right, who are the good players in the Texans? You know, nine months' time, you're looking at this and saying, eh, it's still not, you know, there's not many people still. We, we found, we've added one guy. We've got Stingley now, but everything else is still bad. So that's what Texans fans are looking forward to, right? It's just watching these guys, watching the youth, seeing who's a part of the rebuild, as I always like to say. And it's not as dire as maybe as, as it was a year ago as far as looking at who could still be on the roster next year at this time. Um, I think the other thing about the Texans is, you know, they added Steven Nelson, right, to into this mix, who's always just been this good, solid corner. They could have a nice tandem with Nelson and Derek Stingley. And I think having a good corner tandem is part of what leads to like random upsets. You're just going to randomly get in there and upset some teams because you've got the get a decent pass coverage on the back end there. So, you know, just keep an eye on that if, if Stingley is as good as advertised. And then let's just wrap it up with Davis Mills and his expectations. I mean, the Texans should be continuing to accumulate draft capital and look into the future, right? I mean, it can't just be... Yeah, and the Davis Mills show. But am I, are we being un, would I, am I being unfair thinking that way again because of draft capital? Whereas I'm probably given another 
another pass to like Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence and those guys. Yeah, but like priors matter for this stuff. Like we had one season from from all these guys, and for some of them, that one season was almost nothing. Like Trey Lance. Trey Lance played a couple of hundred snaps in basically two games. Okay, what do we know? Does that change everything we thought about Trey Lance before that point? Well, obviously not. The 49ers didn't go, well, we trade, traded three first-round picks for this guy. On the other hand, he played 200 snaps and didn't do a whole lot, so we got that wrong. Let's, let's continue the course, or let's get rid of everybody and go in a different direction. No, like priors make a difference to this stuff. So the priors we have for these guys are extremely high-level college play from Mac Jones, from Justin Fields, from Trevor Lawrence, from Zach Wilson in particular. Trey Lance is his own kind of world in terms of small sample size and various other things. And then Davis Mills, whose college tape wasn't even very good, but he had NFL tools and he was a he was another high recruit, right? Um, he was. So, and then he went in the third round largely because of those physical tools and the possibility of what he could become. And then flash those tools the same kind of the same way he did in college in the NFL. And the difference is that flashing those tools was as much as anybody did in year one, except Mac Jones. So all of a sudden, his rookie season is comparable to the Justin Fields, the Trevor Lawrence, the Zach Wilson's. On the other hand, it still wasn't good, right? This is this kind of gets lost in the ether and all this. Like nobody expected anything from Davis Mills. Therefore, seeing anything was in, was notable and was interesting, but. He ended up with a passing grade of 59 with an overall grade of 58.5. That's that, So that's where the right round— where, That's actually lower than Lawrence and Zach Wilson, but it's right in the ballpark. That's where th- being a third-rounder helps him rather than hurts him, right? Because you're coming from low expectations. Uh, because if he's a first-rounder, you're just like, oh, he's just another disappointing first-round rookie quarterback. Yeah. So he—and and he's another example of, remember the, the couple of players we talked about recently where if you look at their touchdown to interception ratio, you end up with a warped perception of how good they were. Carson Wentz, I think uh, Jared Goff was another one. Davis Mills, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, compared to Trevor Lawrence, who was 12 and 17, or Zach Wilson, who was 9 and 11, blah, blah. Like, it just—it taints your opinion of them, right? Um, but Davis Mills had the largest turnover-worthy play rate of any of them. So it doesn't always match. Yeah, so with Mills, look, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be the guy going forward. Yeah, I, look, and I don't want to be too down on him because I didn't like him as a prospect. I didn't think he had much of a chance at all of becoming anything, and I was surprised by the limited things he showed as a rookie. Um, and remember, we've, I've been quite vocal about defending Tua in terms of working from an unworkable platform in Miami. The, my, the offensive line there, the receiving core, we haven't had a fair evaluation of Tua yet because everything around him was so bad. You can easily make that argument for Davis Mills last season and say, yeah, look, he flashed stuff and he was in an offense that wasn't viable. Therefore, you know, you should boost him up because of that. I think that's fair. So heading into this season, I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome for Davis Mills. Like if he absolutely bombed and looked like the worst quarterback in the NFL and got benched after a few weeks, it wouldn't shock me. On the other hand, if he took a big step forward with a better situation around him, you know, if Nico Collins is good as a number two, if Kenyon Green is good as a guard and suddenly that offensive line starts to look okay, if he took a huge step forward and I'd be surprised if he was the best quarterback of that class, but if he ended up as like the second best at the end of the year, 
it also wouldn't shock me. So genuinely, the Davis Mills thing is just going to be interesting to watch for, for Texans fans, but for everybody else as well. And for, te- for Houston in particular, I don't really think it's, it's not really franchise defining. It's just a bonus. Like if, if he stinks, they're going to be bad. They're going to draft a quarterback at the top of next year anyway. That's probably the plan. On the other hand, if he if it show if it turns out that Davis Mills is actually their quarterback, I mean, A, that's great, but B, it's not like it completely transforms everything because all you do is you use the pick at the top of the draft on another but way less important player. So it doesn't fundamentally transform things in a way that like, you know, being terrible and then stumbling into a quarterback randomly where you had no opportunity to get one would change things. All it does is, like, it gives you one extra player from somewhere. Well, my prediction is Davis Mills, they're, they're, looking, they're looking for a new quarterback. They're looking for a new quarterback at the end of the season. You're not a believer, huh? I just don't think he'll be, end up being the guy. Weird season again for the Texans. I, I keep citing them overachieving. They finished with four wins last year because I expected them to have, like, half a win. So that was overachieving. They beat the number one seed Tennessee Titans in Week 11. They beat the Chargers in Week 16. That was one of those... Davis Mills hype games. They they win forty one to twenty nine. Their other two wins were against the Jaguars. One with Tyrod as as quarterback. They also lost forty to nothing to the Bills in the rain. Lost to the Colts thirty one to nothing. Lost thirty one to three to the Colts another time. Lost to the Arizona thirty one to five. So yeah, the other thing it about, was just it was up and down last that's season. That's the thing. The other thing about Mills is his game grades are all over the place. He had one game of eighty six uh, against the Patriots which those, the numbers in that game are nuts. 300 yards, 10.8 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, uh, 141.7 passer rating. He had three more games that were good grades above 70, but he also had a grade of 33, 32, 36, 46, 49. Like, we had some terrible grades in there as well. There was almost nothing in the middle. That's, that, that's my concern with Davis Mills here. So I think the Texans, I'm going to go under the four and a half. And I think the Texans are are picking at the top of the draft again next year. Under four and a half. Yeah, I could see them winning four games. Like last year. Yeah. Another four-win team. But on the upswing. Upswing not, Texans. Not even necessarily because they're any worse or the same, but because everything else got better. Everything else got better. Except the Titans. The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. No waivers, no trades, there's no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion of Best Ball Mania drafted right here in the summer last year, so there's no better time to join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Indianapolis Colts, next up here, Sam. Mm-hmm. They bring in Matt Ryan. Their over-under is 10. The Colts are up at 10, man. They're up, I mean, the Rams are at 10 and a half, and you know, the Chiefs are at 10 and a half, and the Colts are at 10. We're talking about a team last year that looked like they were playoff bound and then they were the cra- playoff bound they were playoff bound it was the craziest week 18 in nfl history i'd say sam craziest week 18 in nfl history how many other week 18s have they had mm. two they had that double buy that one time 
Um, but remember, the Colts, all they had to do, all they had to do was go to Jacksonville and win. Granted, they still haven't done that since 2014 or so. <laughs> But they just had to go to Jacksonville and win. <laughs> but because they lost. Uh, the fortress that is Jacksonville. I'm just saying. At, at the, uh, is it still Alltel? At Alltel Stadium? No. The, the place, house that Mark built? The place with the pool. The house that Mark built. So they go in and lose. And the dominoes fall for week 18, where you have the, the, the tie fest between the Chargers and the Raiders, which goes to overtime. Like you couldn't have scripted it any better for the 2021 NFL season. But a uh, big part of it was the fa- – and then and then the Steelers, who couldn't make a first down for three straight weeks, sneak into the playoffs, and they, and they made us it, – it's really the Colts' fault that we had to watch that Steelers' yep. disaster in the playoffs against the Chiefs. Yeah. It's their fault. It is. It's Carson Wentz's fault, really, when it all comes down to it. Let's give the quick Colts history here. Oh, God. With Chris Ballard. We can't go back to, like, Art Modell and – no – I'm just saying the last five years, like a five-year recap. It seems like the Colts are, are building this roster, building this roster. Andrew Luck retires. You have Jacoby Brissett start either side of Andrew Luck, 2017, 2019. The Colts are bad when Brissett's the quarterback. And then it's like, all right, we've got this decent roster. What do we do a quarterback? They go one year of Phillip Rivers in 2020, make the playoffs, lose to the Bills. He retires. They go one year of Carson Wentz, even though they invested in him. One year of Wentz, don't make the playoffs. He's out. Now it's on to Matt Ryan. Is he the guy to at least get them back to Philip Rivers' level in 2022? How do, you, how do you feel about, you know, giving them credit for the, the Johnny Unitas years, even though that was, that was a Baltimore? That's the Ravens. I said, I, I just doing a five-year recap. I didn't go back to, like, Peyton. I didn't go back to the Jeff George era or any of that stuff. <laughs> Jeff George yeah. era. <laughs> Jeff George was just chucking it around to both teams, you know? yeah. Just out there slinging it. Jim Harbaugh, Captain oh, Comeback, yeah, leads them to uh, something that one year. Yeah. They make it to the AFC Championship or Divisional Round, whatever it was. Pre-Payton. Yeah. What was the question? I don't know. I was just rambling about the history of the Colts. Yeah. They have a good roster, and Matt Ryan's the, question, uh, the quarterback. They're going to go over, ten, over under 10 wins. That seems high to me, to be honest. I, I like the Colts, but is Matt, what does Matt Ryan have left at this point? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. Um, Should I go through Matt Ryan's history? No, no, God, no. He, Matt Ryan, crucially, stayed in an indoor environment, you know. Matt needs that these days. I think that was, I think that was needed, for sure. Yeah, smart for him. Um, and he also went to a team that should have been in the playoffs last year. And when you look at the Colts roster, I mean, it, it's pretty good. It's arguably the best roster in the division overall, top to bottom. I think they made some smart additions. Um, Michael Pittman... Probably benefits from Matt Ryan showing up. Alec Pierce coming in in the draft, I think, is a smart addition, both in terms of just adding a receiver that they needed, but also I think he complements Pittman pretty well in terms of how they line up and they can be on the field at the same time and form a, a duo that might actually be useful. Um, they, their offensive line may have more question marks than it's had in the past, but should still be pretty good. The defense has a lot of talent. I sneakily think that Stephon Gilmore is still going to be really good this year. Um, I and I, I wrote that in a in a kind of bold predictions article, and then yesterday on my Twitter timeline, two or three completely separate people were tweeting about what an amazing camp Stephon Gilmore has had, or that he just made an amazing play in, in practice or whatever. Like lost in the Panthers season last year because it was such a train wreck. Remember, they, they trade for Stephon Gilmore. It's like, oh, the Panthers still, still think they're a playoff team after those three early uh, performances where everything looked great. 
Uh, and then everything went to hell, and, and we didn't really see Gilmore for a while. But quietly down the back end of the season when he got on the field, he still looked like Stephon Gilmore. It's like, okay, well, now that he's healthy, you might actually still see some really high-end play out of him. And now, because he's old as a corner, um, and he was injured, the Colts pick him up for essentially peanuts. But he might be the best corner they've had in years. My, my question with Gilmore is all of his peak years were in New England – man heavy scheme he was as good as it gets i mean i I think we talked we've talked recently about it's tough to like really isolate who the best corner is in the nfl right now it was pretty clear stefan gilmore for about three 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 and a half years whatever it was and in one of the most difficult schemes in the nfl you know playing playing one-on-one against good receivers all the time so indy likes to play a lot more zone i guess that would be my only question is is the fit but he's certainly other than like a rejuvenated Xavier Rhodes, ex-Xavier Rhodes that that one year, you're right. I mean, Gilmore's the best that they've had back there in a while. You have Darius becoming Shaquille Leonard mm. on his way to the Hall of Fame with the with the name change. I mean, for me on that side of the ball, the big question mark for the Colts, number 18 in pass rush grade last year after investing two, their top two picks on edge defenders, Dio Odiingbo in the second round, Quiddy Pay in the first round. They bring in Yannick Ngakwe this year to join those guys, can they rush the passer a little bit better? Because when you are um, a, a team that doesn't like to blitz a ton and you're a little bit more zone heavy, you do rely on those pass rushers. And I think even the Colts and Chris Ballard acknowledged it was not where it needed to be last year. DeForest Buckner, of course, uh, probably their most, they're definitely their most productive defensive lineman on the interior. He needs some help. And if they get help up front there, now you're talking about every level of the field. Uh, remember, Darius, Shaquille Leonard, all the forced fumbles last year, him yeah. becoming a playmaker. They're one of those teams where you could say playmaker at every level if you can get a little bit better play on the defensive line. That, that'll help a lot. Yeah, they're well positioned, I think, to take advantage of how one-dimensional Yannick Ngakwe is. He is essentially a speed pass rusher the end. He's not good at any other form of pass rushing, really, and he's horrendous against the run. Essentially, he just doesn't even bother trying to defend the run. So the Colts, when you consider that they have uh, the rest of that defensive line, Quiddy Pay, Quiddy Pay's sort of selling point in draft time was that uh, position versatility could kick inside. He could play, you know, and they didn't really do that with him year one. They certainly didn't line him up inside, but he is much more of that interior um style of player like wins inside more than he wins outside doesn't have necessarily the pure speed threat around around the edge combined they probably form a really good you know high-end edge rusher on that side of the field so i think the colts are actually quite well positioned to be able to take advantage of ngakwe and have him do what he does well without becoming a liability at the same time which i think should help so yeah, like the defensive line should be good. The linebacker group with Shaquille Leonard is good. And if Stephon Gilmore plays well and stays healthy, that secondary is fine. So, like I said, I think the Colts have a good roster overall. And then the big question just becomes, what kind of season can you get out of Matt Ryan there? Yeah, so on that offensive side, last year it was interesting because we thought the Colts were going to have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL and I know that the quarterback has a little bit of an effect on the pass blocking if they hold the ball too long and all that stuff I don't think Wentz was the reason that the offensive line kind of fell apart Wentz has had 
really good offensive lines throughout his career, even though he holds the ball a tick longer than, say, definitely longer than what Phillip Rivers did in 2020. Last year, we saw Quentin Nelson has battled injuries and regressed a little bit. Left tackle, they never figured it out with Eric Fisher over there coming off of his injury. And this year, there's even more question marks with the offensive line. Left tackle could be just a battle between Matt Pryor and then um, who we thought was a first-round prospect, Bernard Ryman fall into the third round you know left tackles a question Quentin Nelson's coming back Ryan Kelly's been up and down throughout his career uh, Mark Lewinsky's gone at right guard does Danny Pinter step in for him who you know has played pretty good football throughout his career as a backup and then Braden Smith is kind of locked in at right tackle this is not a team uh, you know you've got Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith are the two most dependable up there but last year at this time it was like hey they're four out of five pretty dependable you know and, and now it doesn't seem like it's that way so Matt Ryan at this point in his career has not been good under pressure, right? I mean, he is just, as the Falcons offensive line has fallen apart, Matt Ryan's career path has, I mean, he's just, he's looked older. He's aged a little bit. He's coming off of his lowest PFF grade since 2009 from last year. It's the first time he, last couple of years where he just didn't have Julio Jones for an extended period of time. First time in a long time. Players like Matt Ryan should they are important context for what Tom Brady is doing. Tom Brady is 45, which is like seven years older than Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan kind of looks done, right? Like at the very minimum, given the age that he is, we're looking at him and saying, you know, does he, if he's got a bounce back year in him, it's like one, and then he's out of here, right? Matt Ryan is reaching the end of his career. He's declining. He's reaching that physical age where he just can't do what he used to do. Tom Brady's over there seven or eight years older than him and none of that is the case like that's absurd this is, is matt ryan is the age that quarterbacks used to be spent at that was when all those guys started to become toast right the joe montanas of the world this was the age they went over the cliff and they never came back and then tom brady came along and completely rewrote what that age is supposed to be and you know sneakily aaron Rodgers is kind of on, hot in his heels okay he's a number of years further back but there's no sign of Rodgers slowing down either and he's at this kind of age as well I'm just saying players like Matt Ryan are important context to realize that that is it shouldn't happen that's not normal it's weird and it leaves you in this strange limbo world where now the age where you can realistically look at a quarterback and see decline and start to think yeah that guy's done it, the we don't know quite how much longer he's going to cling on to the, his NFL career, but we're reaching the end. That's now like a 10-year window. It can happen any time from 36 to 46. You don't know. Depends on, depends on if you're on the TB12 method or not. <laughs> the other thing about Ryan, he's not, you know, with Brady, we always talk about him as an O-line protector, right? He's going to get rid of the ball. He knows where he's going. With Ryan, he's kind of in between that. You know, he's, he's like neutral. He's yes. offensive line neutral. He, exactly. I mean, he, he's been sacked over 40 times the last four years, five out of the last six times. You know, it's, it's about double what a, a Brady's been doing recently. And it's been, you know, if the O-line... O and it's not because he takes a high percentage of sacks. Matt Ryan's pretty consistent, just right in the middle of the pack in that number. It's just if you pressure him more, bad things are going to happen over time with Matt Ryan. You know, you don't think he's going to have the outlier under pressure type of season as much as, as some other guys. So the O-line is crucial. And then last year, I keep referencing, look, the Colts did score a lot of points last year. As far as just putting points up on the board, they overachieved from what I expected them to do. 
because I didn't think that they were great on the perimeter, great at playmaker. Jonathan Taylor has an outstanding season. Michael Pittman steps up. But is that enough? Is that enough? Do they have a dependable tight end? Does Alec Pierce come in as a second rounder who's explosive? Do they need him to step up as a deep threat? Can Paris Campbell stitch something together at this point in his career? I think there's a lot of questions on the perimeter as well. We haven't even mentioned Jonathan Taylor, you know, the best running back in the NFL last season. All I said was he had a great year last year, but he's got a going to replicate that right yeah but I mean really this all comes down to what kind of season you can get out of Matt Ryan and I think there's it's important that he goes and gets connected to Frank Reich who I would say is the the leading reason why Carson Wentz's season looked as good as it did last year from a statistical standpoint that's way more on Frank Reich than it was on Carson Wentz or anything else around him Um, Matt Ryan pairing up with Frank Reich will be a pretty interesting combination to watch and you can definitely find games last season where Matt Ryan looked like he still had it, uh, usually inside, but whatever, still inside for most of the season. So I think there's definitely the ability for Matt Ryan to at least have one more you know, good year in him. Like 2020 was an 83 PFF grade, 2018 was 84. And then you get those that two-year run of 2017 and 2016 where he was above 90. Obviously, one of those years was the MVP year. I don't think he's getting back to that level, but I think you could see him get back to that 85 kind of level, which would be a 10-point grading jump from last year and put him back to pretty much his peak outside of those MVP caliber years. That was one of our bets that was offered, that Matt Ryan was going to be back up at 85. I hope we didn't accept it if you think he's going to do it. (laughs) I mean, he hasn't graded at 85 or better since the MVP, since 2017. that was one of those weird seasons. He just he had some bad turnover luck, so the the stats weren't as good coming off his MVP year. Um, but we've seen the regression, like grading in the 70s over the last two years, uh, two out of the last three years for Matt Ryan. And even in 2020, it was a little top-heavy, uh, some pretty good games against bad teams. So I, I don't think we've seen... I think we've seen a different Matt Ryan since 2018. 2018 was the last time I think he was in, in the Matt Ryan cutoff there you know mm-hmm. I, I, the last time he was in that top eight mix at quarterback was probably 2018 19 through 21 he's he's middle tier guy um which is fine because again i think this colts team putting points on the board should have been in the playoffs last year and all the things that they did last year they did with wentz grading at about 70 and just mostly taking care of the football outside of a couple games so I think Matt Ryan can do that. I think it just also puts a lot of pressure on the O-line to play better than it looks on paper. And once again, the playmakers to look better than they do on paper. So that's where I am with the Colts. I just, I think 10 wins. We've been... The over-under is 10, exactly. So they have to win 11 to go over. Yeah, I'm having a tough time with that, even in the AFC South. I mean, I could see them winning 10 games. They still have to play at Jacksonville. (laughs) No, they might be in London. So that was like the only time they beat the Jags in a Jags yeah, home game was like in London. Right. As soon as you get outside of the fortress that is Jacksonville, you've got... Plus, I mean, Urban Meyer was unstoppable on uh, international soil. Yeah. You know? So Well, the slate's wiped clean, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Because they had, he had to hop on the plane after the game. He couldn't stay. It's true. All right. What do you think about the Colts? I mean, I could see them winning 10 games. Over 10 feels rich. That being said, so I think one of the two teams of the Colts and the, uh, the Titans, obviously those are the two teams that are expected to be contesting for this division 
some people are talking up Jacksonville, but I'm not buying that. Um, I I only I think one of those teams is going to end up sweeping the other, and that's the team that wins the division. So I'm going to lean the Colts get it done, and by virtue of beating the Titans, they will get there over. By the way, Philip Rivers in his only year in Indianapolis, 79 PFF grade. Yeah, and he had his 26 touchdowns and 11 picks, and it was a you know 4,400 yards, including the playoff game. Remember, he had that Davis Mills season where there was only good or bad games. Nothing, oh yeah, nothing in the middle. Yeah, he had five or six games over 80 and five or six games under 60. So I could see a similar season for Matt Ryan, which puts the Colts as a as a playoff caliber team that feels like they're just behind the Bills, the Chiefs, and some of the other top teams in the AFC. There's some breaking news that's going to really make your day. Oh, boy. Um, Vienna, the a league spokesman has told Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com that they've asked officials to play closer attention to illegal contact this season. <sighs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's the news that everybody was hoping to hear, that the, the league would emphasize illegal contact. Oh, it's the worst. I mean, uh, offensive, t- hammer the overs. <laughs> Hammer the overs. This, this is one of those things where, like, when you watch tape, there's a ton of plays where, like, surely that's illegal contact. And then the second anybody actually goes to do anything about it, you're like, I just don't care that much. It is. And I do get a little bit annoyed when you're watching these, you know, that's a penalty. But I don't want you to call more penalties. Like, no. Figure out a different way of fixing it. Don't do this. I was looking it up recently. The illegal contact penalties are way down after the NFL emphasized them, what, five or six years ago? Yeah. They're just going to do it again. It was obnoxious. Again. The worst part about it is it's like third and 19. There has to be a better way. if you way. illegally contact at six yards, it's like automatic first, five-yard five penalty, a third and 19, five-yard <laughs> penalty, automatic first down. There just has to be a better way of fixing this than like every five years going jihad on, on Call penalties. Call this more. And then letting it slide for five years. And then, it, like, you know, oh, it's that time again. Let's start throwing illegal contact in every play. Like, surely there's a better way of fixing it than that. And if and, there is, please do it because I, I don't like that. Smart teams were just running. On every play, you run at least, like, one double move at five yards. And you just if – you, if, the, if the DB gets faked at all, illegal contact, free first down. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 silly. By the way, PFF IQ users, NFL teams, mm. will be tracking who throws the flag every single you know, where those flags are coming from, who the who the official is that throws each flag. Your first time ever. Yeah. PFF IQ exclu- exclusive. All right, before we get to the Jags, don't forget, gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile, walks with the confidence of an eagle or a jaguar. And giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless winning machine, and when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce. we got a summer sale going on. Let's go. Their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet. It's the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest, biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. So get 20% off plus free shipping. The code's PFF at manscapes.com. It's 20% off with free shipping. Manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. It's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. We do have some people in our bets, in our offers, saying, look, you know, if 
if I win, I'll grab Edge or Elite or PFF Plus coming yeah. out soon. I'll grab a subscription. And if I lose, we'll lose the oh, no, we'll give you a subscription. But if they lose, you know, they'll buy a Manscaped. You know, they'll buy a Platinum Package or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's more reasonable than the guy that wanted like a whole costume of the, the trimmer thing created to wear. I appreciate the creativity. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for him doing it. I just don't want to do that myself. Oh, no, we're not. We're not making a Manscaped costume. No, for sure. Don't have that time of uh, type of skills or time or effort or want I, I to just, or just, yeah, I just anything don't, else. I just don't want to do it. Anyway, let's um, let's move on. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars. Are we ready for the Jaguars hype? They're over under six and a half. So they're a team that finished with the number one overall pick. And, you know, so here's the difference, right? The, the Texans are at four and a half. Hmm. Finished with a better record than the Jags last year. Or better standing than the Jags. Oh, the Jags stank last year. I know. Remember, they were, they had to win that late game. All I'm saying they is they almost took themselves out of the number one overall pick consideration. So they, they finished three and 14. They get the number one overall pick. But there's still enough positivity around the Jags that they're six and a half, that they're two games better as far as preseason win totals than the Houston Texans. By the way, as, as the PFF Daily has made its return, I was looking back to just seeing what we did for episodes last year. It was like August 20-something when we said, is it too early for the Jaguars to be concerned? I mean, that's how early. Right. Remember yeah. Urban Meyer, like the first <laughs> touchdown that was given up? He's like, It, it is doing? actually amazing when you think about it. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like, but worse, Denver Josh McDaniels. How early? <clears throat> how early you could see that everything just wasn't going to? No, be no, no. You're right. They started six and zero, Sam. You, I think you completely misremember. No, the no, Josh no. McDaniels it's not. Era. It's not that things. It's not that he was losing. It's that from very early on, they were. He was doing things that were like that. That's that's not smart. You're trading away really important players on this team. No, like you can't be doing that now. As I said, the Urban Meyer thing is way worse because it was all bad start to finish, but. It, the point being, it was remarkable how early into these things you can see that this this is not going to work. Yeah. I mean, it, this was like the first time they gave up points. The first time they went three and out. And Urban Meyer is like, got that look like, oh, gosh, where's, is the heart attack coming soon? Yeah, I he's might in, need to get out. How do I get out of this? He's in preseason, like game one. And it's like, it's like they just lost the Super Bowl. On a gut wrenching final, on a bad, on a bad, on an illegal contact call in the fourth quarter is what just cost him a Super Bowl, and that's what he looks like after they just lost in the preseason. You're like, come on, yeah. dude, you got to have like, you got to have a scale. Like, you can't be there after a preseason don't, game because then you got no room to go further. Don't, uh, don't overrate. Don't overlook. Don't, don't look too much into preseason stuff. I mean, that's how bad Urban Meyer was, that you could look into the preseason stuff and it directly predicted and the future. immediately see this is, this is an issue. So my point is, even Vegas is saying, this Jags team has to be better than last year. Well, I think the point is, it's impossible to overstate how big a deal it is going from that train wreck to anything else. I, I really think it's worth three and It doesn't wins. even matter what else it is. Because last year at this time, the Jags had an over-under right around six or seven, and it felt like, hey, you know, if Trevor Lawrence is, is the real deal, he's going to have one of those. He'll have an up-and-down rookie season, but he'll, like, carry the team a couple games, and they'll win, you know, they'll win six or seven, right? They felt like a six or seven win team last year. I think just going from 
Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson probably leads to six wins. I mean, probably is a three-win difference with how bad it was. Now, the Jags didn't look good in the Hall of Fame game for whatever it's worth. True. Anyway, what are you what are you looking for with the Jaguars here? A lot of investment in some key positions. You know, a lot of money in Brandon Scherf and Christian Kirk. Well, I I think that's the main point. Is I don't I I don't really love a lot of what they did this offseason. And they were aggressive and they were they spent money. They made really ballsy moves in the draft. They did a lot of things. But as it, it fits the previous pattern with what the Jags have done for quite a while, which seems to be it, the pattern is there's no pattern. So a lot of other teams, they do these things, they make aggressive moves, and it's very easy to discern what the strategy is long-term. You can see what they're building towards. Detroit, I think, is a great example. You can calculate the whole way out exactly what they're doing. The Rams, similar kind of thing. They've, you, it's very easy to, to formulate what the plan is and what they've been doing and therefore what future moves will look like. The Jags, I don't think you can make that same argument. The closest you can come is that they value you know, athleticism and tools and upside over anything else. But that I don't think is necessarily a strategy. It's just like just a trait, a, just a, I think, a, a desire. I think you're confusing strategy and plan with agreeing with the moves. I'm not. I think you're conflating those a little bit. I don't think I am. Because, I, I mean, the, I think the strategy was clear, was just bring in any bring in players who are better than what we have. <laughs> that was what they tried to do. That isn't a strategy. And then they overpaid him because it's like, hey, you're coming to Jacksonville, so Christian Kirk's going to be making $18 million a year, and Foye Olokun at linebacker is going to make $15 million, and Folo Fodakasi is going to make $10 million at defensive interior. You can't just say this roster stinks, so we're going to turn around and throw darts at a player pool and bring in guys that are better than the guys we already have, and that's our strategy. That isn't a team-building approach. That's just shotgunning it a talent pool I mean, and hoping just, you end up better by default. Just because it feels cleaner to be like, let's get the offensive line intact and then add the receivers. I mean, that doesn't mean that's the only way to do things. So all I'm saying is I think the, the order of players that they brought in, I don't think is this crazy mystery. There's a lot of different ways to do things. I would say all of them are better than simply adding the most expensive random players you can find in a given season and hoping that because your roster was so bad to begin with, that will therefore improve you. I just there's no approach to this other than let's just add players. The end. That isn't a team building strategy. I I, I disagree. Particularly not when it hasn't worked for X number of years. The issue for me is they they added a ton in free agency and it's like, well, Olakun at linebacker has been up and down and he's kind of a potential guy and he's making fifteen million. It's more the the investment that they made. But it's in some also of these investment players. with al- almost all of which has been at low value positions. I would also the say the only adding- one that hasn't been has been Christian Kirk, who was the most lambasted decision they made. Yeah, but it's not a. But that's not like a tactical strategy thing. It's just you overpaid for the wrong players. It's not like not having a plan. They had a plan. They're just trying to get better. Anyway, that splitting hairs here. Um, Added a lot at linebacker this offseason. Devin Lloyd, uh, you know, they traded back into the first round to get him. Chad Muma later in the draft. Uh, we'll talk about Trayvon Walker in a bit here. I think they're better, though. I think the bottom line is they're just better than they were last year. If, if you want to question the guys they invested in, probably too much money for Christian Kirk. Probably a little bit too much for Zay Jones, who just kind of broke out in the second half of last season. But the bottom line is if Zay Jones is running 
more routes than uh, Laquan Treadwell did last year. And Christian Kirk is running more routes than Tavon Austin was last year. The receiving core is going to look better, even if they had different players that they could have looked at. Evan Ingram coming in to, to play that big slot type of tight end hybrid or whatever. Brandon Scherf shoring up the guard position. They like Luke Fortner, the rookie center. I think across the board, they're getting incrementally better. And I think that's going to help them this year. I think the question becomes a year from now when they see the investment in some of these players, they're going to say, okay, maybe that's too much for those particular players. But I think the Jags are getting better I mean, this season. My point is that I don't think they're that much better at all, but they might end up looking a lot better because they went from a dumpster fire of an environment to something else. Like that, the move from Urban Meyer to anybody else. And I, I'm intentionally minimizing Doug Peterson, not because I don't think Doug Peterson is a good coach, but because I don't think it matters who the coach was. The problem is what they had last year. Going from that to anybody is the biggest move that they, is the, the most needle-moving move that they've made by a mile. The rest of it, I mean, yeah, you can talk about some of the players they added, but I think the overall sum of all of that is a relatively small incremental move and does and pales in comparison to the move at coach. I'm also intrigued by the play, you know, getting Travis Etienne back, you know, to pair with James Robinson. What do they do with Etienne? He is, he is an explosive playmaker, right? Defensively, I really like Devin Lloyd at linebacker. Trayvon Walker is the number one overall pick. He had a pretty nice little debut in the Hall of Fame game. We'll see what Trayvon Walker can do. At the very least, they are looking more athletic and, you know, just there's a lot more potential there, I think. It's not like Caleb on chase on potential. I think there's a lot more potential that they've that they've found some players on both sides of the ball. It all comes down to Lawrence and his development, though, Sam. What does he look like? Even in the even in last year's train wreck, I was concerned with how it happened. Remember, he went like eight games without a touchdown or whatever. I, I thought he would be the guy that had some high highs and some low, you know, some ugly in there. There weren't enough high highs. And when there were, it was like in garbage time against Seattle. He's making these ridiculous throws. I thought there'd be games where Trevor Lawrence just said, hey, I'm a, he'd just go full gunslinger and, and just carry the team a little bit. We didn't see that. It got worse in some of those comeback opportunities. So how much of that is environment? How much of that is he's just a rookie? My, were my expectations too high? That's what I want to see from Lawrence. I don't care if there's still some ugly out there and he, and he has some bad picks. I, I thought there'd be more Andrew Lucky in, as you always described, you know, you create the fire and then try to put it out type of thing. I thought we'd see more of that from Lawrence. I think I want more of that from Trevor Lawrence because his potential is tied to him having an arm that can drive the ball down the field, be aggressive, make those throws. That's what I want to see this year from Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, for a guy that was compared to, to Andrew Luck, to Peyton Manning, to John Elway, it didn't look the same. As, I usually hate going back as far as this to compare players, but if you think about Peyton Manning's rookie year, Peyton Manning set the all-time interception record for a rookie, and yet nobody was worried about Peyton Manning at the end of that season because of all the good plays he was making, and there was this awareness of he's just got to go through this process of making those mistakes so that he understands and doesn't make them again you know you make each one of these mistakes once and then you don't make them in future you have to learn where the line is in the nfl kind of like a race car driver going out there on you know a, a track with some a new track you've got to learn where the limit is 
and only in only when discovering that limit by spinning out or running off the road do you figure out all right that's the line now i can i'm not going to do that again and now we're good that's what peyton manning was doing in his rookie season you didn't really get that impression from trevor lawrence because he was making mistakes but it wasn't like there was a ton of good offsetting those mistakes it was just like this is was just bad rookie play and we're not seeing a ton of good like he had the lowest big time throw rate of the rookies outside of zach wilson um it was you know you would expect his if his season had looked a lot more like justin fields it would have made sense where he said okay there's some problems here there's some mistakes there's growing pains but look at all those big plays like the high end is spectacular that's the guy we knew in college it'll be okay we'll we'll get through this it didn't look like that. And okay, there's some plays you can pull out here and there where it looked like Trevor Lawrence. But the difference between the sort of the rate of each one, I think, was was a lot bigger than people were expecting. And it's very difficult to separate that out from the Urban Meyer stuff, from the lack of receivers, from the offense that seemed to be scheming receivers into coverage, not out of coverage. Um, and who the receivers were. Yeah, Everything was bad. So, again, it comes back to that Tua thing, the Davis Mills thing. Like, was that an environment where you can fairly analyze what he was doing? And it's it's reasonable to say, no, probably wasn't. But even so, it feels like he underwhelmed relative to how much you would have expected him to flash. And he, I think, is under a reasonable amount of pressure this season to show that he's way better than that. Yeah, again, my concerns with Lawrence probably the lack of big time plays but also in there were a few but the lack of the volume there six yards per attempt it was just it, that's just tough to do in today's nfl even if it is laquan treadwell who did have a career year or Tavon austin taking the majority of the snaps in certain games lavisca chenault's not really developing as you hoped and um with lawrence just just being slow man just being too slow going through progressions i, I remember coming out it felt like lawrence was too quick Sometimes when he was off mechanically, it was when he was too quick, um, rushed things and he would miss some throws last year. It just felt like, man, you're just, he's just a tick slow with everything. Now you can speed up process. You can speed it up as you get, you know, and it usually does. More, it, yeah. As you, as you, as you gain experience. So maybe that's the place to be a little bit weaker, but that's what I want to see from Trevor Lawrence this year. And there's a few, like there are a few areas where you can look at his statistical profile from his rookie season and be more encouraged than some of these other guys. Yeah. So, whereas look at you putting a positive spin. Remember, every number for Zach Wilson screamed just the dude is drowning, completely in over his head. You know, not functioning at this speed yet. Trevor Lawrence doesn't have that, and his you know average time to throw was faster than than Zach Wilson's, but his sack rate on those pressure plays was way lower. So, whereas Zach Wilson was either the the, the, the worst or the second worst quarterback in the league in terms of percentage of pressured plays resulting in sacks. Lawrence was the other end of the scale. Like 14.5% is a pretty good number for anybody, let alone a rookie. Those are the kind of numbers that say, all right, there's something working here that's, that's we're working at this level, at least somewhere. It's not, you know, across the board. And so the, some of the results are ending up pretty bad uh, in terms of turnover-worthy plays, interceptions, whatever. But you can at least see some areas where we're functioning at this NFL level, and that's good. That's different to Zach Wilson, where you're like, okay, there's basically no evidence right now that this is working, and we need to see something completely new in 2022. Lawrence at least has some stuff to build on. We just need to see more of that. 
Uh, when you're talking about some of the curious moves, you know, Cam Robinson, it went from, ah, we're going to franchise tag him to, you know, they're they're signing him long term at 17 plus million per year. Cam Robinson, they're banking on Cam Robinson having like a year six breakout. Just haven't seen it yet. The last year was his career high, 67 grade, still negative war. So I, those are some of the moves where I question where I think the Jags. I think they're just afraid. Jawan Taylor at right tackle has been far below average. He's in the last year of his contract. I think the Jags just didn't want to blow up both tackle spots in the same year. Um, but they probably need to. You know, They need to get better up front. Uh, the playmaker situation, as I mentioned, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, Christian Kirk, could be solid, but there's still more work to do as, you know, as, as Marvin Jones gets a little bit older. And we don't know what Zay is going to bring to the table as kind of a half-year wonder. Um, and then defensively, it's an intriguing group of pass rushers when you have Josh Allen and first-round pick Trayvon Walker, and the secondary could be solid with Shaquille Griffin, who they signed before last year. You bring in Darius Williams, second-year, second-rounder Tyson Campbell back there, Andre Sisco, um, who I don't think Urban Meyer knew but was a third-round pick last year. Could be solid back there. What are your thoughts on the defense, some of the investment there, and then the move to get Trayvon Walker and what you saw from him in the Hall of Fame game? the dominant display in the Hall of Fame game with a sack. Um, no nuance to to that. I, he looked long and explosive and what he is. He also he played like 16 snaps. I know or that. It's like, I mean, he looked good. You know. And the quarterback literally ran into the sack. It was Stidham, like literally ran yeah, into him. He was kind of winning anyway, but I mean, it's not. He was. He engaged well and all that stuff. It's just funny that I assume that the performance was skewed by that. Yeah, he had other good plays. But also, like when you get when you when you get like one positive play out of sixteen plays, you're already doing okay. So yeah. Anyway, the the defense is interesting because of all these like weird, athletic, high upside type of players they've added. And all right, most of them haven't worked out yet. But at some point, it becomes interesting with every new coaching staff that comes in. You're like, well, can they can they get the potential out of this group, or is this just what happens when you add a bunch of high potential? you know, ceiling type of players that by definition, those guys are unlikely to ever hit the ceiling collectively at the same time. And it just doesn't ever work out. So I'm fascinated to watch what this combination of players ends up looking like, but my expectations aren't necessarily sky high for them. Um, There's a pretty good chance that Josh Allen is the best player on this defense this year. And I don't know if Josh Allen is going to be like a superstar or anything like that. The Trayvon Walker thing, I'm all for seeing how that pans out. Um, I can't wait to watch it. The I mean, selling he's, point, he's fun to watch. Yeah, the selling point from Jacksonville's point of view is, yes, you took a guy, number one, that had nothing like the production or college career of a bunch of these other guys. On the other hand, the league has literally never seen a guy with this athletic profile come into the NFL. Never. He has a complete composite physical tool set in terms of size, length, speed, athleticism, movement skills, change of direction. When you put all of it together, we've never seen anybody like that before. We've seen players that have like, you know, five of the six pieces, but never anybody with all of it. So there's a real question of, well, we've never seen anybody like this before. Therefore, you can't possibly, like you can't compare him to Danell Hunter because he's Danell Hunter with 20 extra pounds on his frame. And, you know, had a couple of other pieces in there as well. So, And Hunter worked out, by the way. Like, if that's the one you're comparing him to. Or, or he's Jason Pierre-Paul, but more expl- like size-wise, right, but, every, but more athletic. Every one and, of the guys you can point to that sort of, that either, you know, didn't quite become what he could or was good or, or failed or whatever. 
they're missing something. They don't, it's like, yeah, but they don't have this. You know, he has this completely unique physical tool set. And I'm endlessly fascinated to see how that pans out at the NFL level. Looking forward to seeing Trayvon Walker's development. So all that said, what are we looking at for the Jacks? Over, under, six and a half. Where are you leaning here? Under. Staying under yeah. on the Jags. Six wins. I'm going to go. I'm going to buy in. We're getting a second round, a second year breakout from Trevor Lawrence. So do it. Okay. Over the six and a half. I'm live, honey. Has, does she know what happens? Yeah. On Monday morning? Yeah. I love you, but we're live on the air. If it's an emergency, there's like a way, you know, that say emergency or something, you know. Hmm. Can't just call. Can't just call while we're live. All right, Tennessee Titans. Last year, let's give a little history of the... No, let's not. <sighs> the Titans are the defending number one seed in the AFC. Oh, this is an emergency. <laughs> Great. Our neighbor's house is on fire. If you could talk about the Titans for really quick for a minute. Huh. Okay. This is why we do this. Uh, all right. <laughs> Tennessee Titans. Um, yeah, look, it's the, so the overall feeling about the Titans this offseason for me has been in this offseason where everybody is going on this arms race. You know, Buffalo, best roster in the NFL. Oh, well, let's just add Von Miller to it. That worked out pretty well for the Rams. Um, Miami, well, we've not been great this year. Been good, not great. Let's add Tyreek Hill with a trade. Let's add two really good offensive linemen. Let's completely transform where we're going. Denver, let's get the quarterback. Let's go after Russell Wilson. So all these teams have been adding just insane players. Denver in that AFC West division, or not Denver, the, the Raiders, watching what everybody else is doing, going, oh, I guess if you can't beat them, join them. Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones brought in. While everybody else was doing that, Tennessee has been kind of spinning plates just trying to stay where they were a year ago. And, you know, you bring in Robert Woods. Great. I love that move. Um, you end up drafting Traylon Burks. Also great. On the other hand, it cost you A.J. Brown to do that. So you look at their even just their receiving group, and it's got Robert Woods. It's got Nick Westbrook-Akine. It's got Traylon Burks. You're like, all right, that's a pretty good group. But you don't have A.J. Brown anymore. That's, that's a pretty huge sacrifice to make to get that group. Um, and I'm not sure that this group is just a net win over where it was a year ago with A.J. Brown in, in the lineup. Um, so, you know, I, I like some of the moves they've made, but pretty much every move they made, there's a corresponding negative that ends up looking at this group and saying, well, are they any better than a year ago? And the only sort of saving grace of that is, well, last year they were the number one seed in the AFC and you know, went on a little bit of a run and, and were consistently winning games that they potentially shouldn't have. Um, but I don't love any offseason where you're like, I don't know if this team's any better than they were a year ago. Yeah, it's a, it, how do you break down the Titans season last year, right? I mean, they, they, beat, they beat the Chiefs 27-3 to when we still thought, when the Chiefs still looked like a juggernaut, right? I mean, they beat the Bills back-to-back -back weeks. They beat the Col They had that run where they beat all the best teams in the NFL at the time, but they also had games where they lost to the Jets. They lost to the Texans when they were trying to lock up the number one seed. But, I, you know, we've mentioned this a lot here, too. The Mike Rabel trust factor, right? The fact that they were able to play all those players, have a revolving door at key positions, at corner, at receiver, and uh, just craziness that never should have happened. Like, why do we even do the—they were the team there. It's like, why do we even 
try to project stuff? Why do we even do a podcast? Why do we even break down stuff, receiving cores and cornerback rooms and all that stuff when it doesn't matter because the Titans went and had the number one seed in a pretty good AFC last year? Yeah. Now, it did come back and bite in the playoffs, right? They lost in the first round. They probably weren't as good as that number one seed. But I think there is something to Mike Rabel and that coaching staff getting that team to play better. That's what makes me... That's what makes me a little cautious to doubt the Titans, even though I think there's things on paper that are working against them. Um, the other big question for me this year is, is Ryan Tannehill. How much of his development in Tennessee is just him getting better late in his career? How much of it is the scheme and having Derrick Henry reliance or how much of it truly was he just paired up with A.J. Brown, who was you know the dude who took over games sometimes, both down the field and after the catch. Um, oversimplifying, but can Tannehill keep up his play? He's, coming, he's got three straight years of his best grades of his career at what point is that just that's just who ryan Tanhill is he's still in that kirk cousins maybe jimmy garoppolo he's limited you bring more guys in the box and he's gonna uh be able to move the ball around as a passer but he's not gonna drop back 45 times and carry your team but Tannehill's thrown the ball so just really well these last couple of years yeah i mean i i, I think Tannehill's a good quarterback in this offense you can debate how much of it is the offense and how much helps him out and all those kinds of things it is a beneficial quarterback environment but he has played really well within it and i don't see any great reason why that would change this year um over under for the titans is nine so if titans fans want to get offended by people not believing in them talk to vegas because they don't even believe that they're you know the the same team they were last year yeah uh so the Traylon burks thing is going to be a huge deal for them this this season um because Traylon Burks essentially has to come in and replace A.J. Brown, or at least replace a big percentage of A.J. Brown with Robert Woods picking up the rest of the slack. Um, and he is one of the most difficult evaluations in the draft, I think, for of, of any of the receivers. Um, I, and I think he's a guy that almost illustrates the kind of the difficulty or the problems potentially in the process where – the first thing everybody does, you throw on Traylon Burke's tape, and I think almost everybody likes what they see. It's like, wow, this is this guy's great. And then everything, the rest of the process happened, and almost all of it was negative towards him. So you throw on the tape, and it's like, wow, this guy's a playmaker. He's huge. He's fast. He's This is amazing. Like, this guy's going to be awesome. And then you show up at the combine, and all of a sudden, all the sort of physical traits that you thought were there from the tape aren't. Yeah, okay, he's big, he's 225, but he's not as fast as you thought he was. You know, he doesn't run a 4-3, he runs a 4-5. Um, he, he himself was talking up, like, what insane giant hands he has because of his custom gloves or whatever he's got to wear. It turns out they were just normally receiver-shaped hands. Um, all of the, so all that stuff was bad. And then because of those, because the numbers, and in particular the 40 time and stuff, weren't great, now people go back to the tape and you start looking at, well, okay, why do I think he was running a 4-3 from the tape? And all of a sudden you start seeing stuff in the tape that kind of explains some of, or can at least mitigate some of the play. And you're like, yeah, okay, a lot of these good plays are against really terrible competition. And, you know, there's some, now you start focusing on the fact that this is more of a gimmick role within an offense, not really playing wide receiver and the schemed stuff that gets him into some space and blah, blah. And everything sort of, you know, just neg or 
drags down your opinion of Traylon Burks. Then we get to training camp, and it's like, oh, the dude's got asthma. He has to sit out. There's some weight concerns here. We talked about that all the way through the process. Weight concerns added for the fact that he had to sit out his first practice because he was out of breath. Like, this is red flags everywhere. But ultimately, you end up sort of circling back. And now we've reached you know further into the process. It's like, oh, the dude's tearing up training camp. And it feels like if you just stuck with what you saw in the first place, you'd already be there. You know what I mean? If you just turned on the tape, wow, Traylon Burks is great. Period. The it's a end. lot of fun data points, though, right? Like game speed versus slow, slower than expected combine. But it's like we just did this giant loop and ended up right back but where you we were, started. You were making the point, like, how many receivers had weight issues through the years? Yeah. had success. Alshon Jeffrey is the only guy that we could actually think of. Uh-huh. But there's not there's not many. Um, did you? It was it David Boston you gave him? Was this your David Boston comp? Yeah. Yeah. And that's – look, if Traylon Burks is – He's 80, starting, if he's 80% of A.J. Brown, I think that's to, okay. He's starting to look like David Boston now. Have you seen him? He's like jacked. Is he that jacked? Yeah. That's, he's, the, he's losing the baby fat. I, there, was, uh, there was a picture I saw of training camp today or recently or whatever, and the dude looks huge. Yeah. And I mean, not, look, I, like I said, if he's 80% of A.J. Brown and you add Robert Woods, then I think the Titans are looking pretty good. And I'll also say because A.J. Brown did – he was hurt last year, there was games where – I mean, they had running backs as their leading receivers because they just had nobody to throw to. So they, they made it work last year. So that, that's where I don't necessarily want to doubt the Tennessee Titans and Mike Vrabel. No, I, but I think the Vrabel part is huge. It's like I don't love a lot of what they did. It felt like they spun their wheels and stayed more or less where they were when everybody else got better. But I do think that Mike Vrabel is the next Mike Tomlin in terms of a guy that's consistently able to raise the level of the people around him and get wins when they shouldn't necessarily get wins. So I think there's a degree to which you have to buy into the Titans because Mike Vrabel is still there. And as long as he's there, I think this will be a good team. Um, I would, I'll just say overall from a team-building standpoint, a lot of the investment where they've made in Harold Landry and Bud Dupree, I, I would have rather see that money go to A.J. Brown. I think that will come back to bite them as far as making a Super Bowl run. Defensively, though, Landry and Dupree – Two guys that have underachieved in our grading system but kind of show up in, in sack totals. I think the Titans, remember they sacked Joe Burrow, what, nine times in that divisional round or wild card game, divisional round game. Um, they know how to create pressure and get after the quarterback. Jeffrey Simmons looks like a star at times. He's a little inconsistent. Kevin Byard, Imani Hooker, probably the best safety duo in the NFL last year. And here's where I'm really intrigued. Christian Fulton at corner took a big step forward in year two. Caleb Farley, we thought, you and I in particular thought, had the most upside of any corner in the draft last year, and we just didn't get to see a whole lot of them, had the, the back issues that, that had him drop. The, the potential is through the roof as far as what the Titans can do in their secondary and really at receiver with Traylon Barks, and this is what makes them such a fascinating team. Yeah, the, the secondary, it's a lo- it's long on potential. Um, they, they've kind of built this... Remember the, a couple of years ago, the Vikings had a, a weak group of cornerbacks, but they had uh, Harrison Smith at safety, and Anthony Harris was playing at that incredible level. And said, well, you've got two amazing safeties. It makes up for a lot of weaknesses at cornerback. The Titans group isn't necessarily weak in terms of talent or ability at corner, but they're very unproven. So Christian Fulton is the one that we've seen some sort of serious snaps from. Uh, Elijah Molden, I think, looked like a good slot. But then it's Caleb Farley or Roger McCreary or – whoever the other corner is it's you there's a lot of potential in that in that trio but not a lot in terms of proven quality and I think having Bayard and Hooker at safety will certainly maximizes their ability to realize that potential but 
that could go, there's a, lar- a broad range of outcomes with that group. It could be a problem area for them, or it could end up being a massive strength. Last year at this time, um, we also brought up, it's, it was, it was going to be Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. We didn't know what Julio Jones had left. It was the dudes, right? Yeah. And Derrick Henry, and Henry gets hurt, and Julio's a shell of himself and then heard and they still ended up with the number one seed so i don't know what to do with the titans they feel like a nine win team i want to just not say over or under i just want to predict they're going to win nine <laughs> can i do that yeah i'll say titans win nine uh-huh. derrick henry will win a game for him in overtime you know that's how it is mm. i so i think the colts end up winning this division and they do it by virtue of beating tennessee but i could still see the titans winning nine or ten games those are I mean, I, I, I get it because I'm not massively in love with either of those two teams, but they, they do sort of feel a little bit low when you consider the other teams in the divisions, in, in the division. <sighs> right on pace here today. We gave a lot of love to the AFC South. Let's go to the NFC South. Somebody asked you. Atlanta Falcons. So a team that um, feels like they're rebuilding, right? They're in the middle of a rebuild. Feels like? Yeah. They officially push the rebuild forward. Atlanta's offseason. They traded away their franchise quarterback. I think that's a fairly safe, you know, declaration of rebuild. They basically, they made Matt Ryan as untradeable as possible. And then traded him. And then traded him. Well, no, 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 no. Actually, there's a middle step there. They made Matt Ryan's contract as untradeable as humanly possible, then pissed him off by trying to then go for Deshaun Watson. Courted Then Deshaun traded Watson. him away. Yes. Yeah. So they burnt the bridge with Matt Ryan, who yeah. it felt like they were stuck with. And then when they didn't get Deshaun Watson, trade Matt Ryan to the Indianapolis Colts. They grab Marcus Mariota. And I'm all for more Marcus Mariota data points. Get Mariota. Can Mariota be like his former teammate, Ryan Tannehill, who took over for Marcus Mariota? Can he have that, that second life in, in a new place? Can Mariota do that? And doing it with his old coach as well. All the same, right? What a story. Falling apart over there? I believe it's a stone falling out of my shoe made clattering noises but um interesting what did you do this weekend haven't researched this no I, these are the the, I, the the pattern on these shoes is unusually susceptible to picking up stones gotcha okay so you went like mountain climbing no no no, no 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 nothing nothing interesting just that these shoes like suck up stones into the 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 ridges we back to the falcons now yeah so you'll like this because you didn't think the jaguars had a pattern to anything the falcons have a pattern they want big dudes big like dudes. your mid 2000 Jaguars. You know, it's Drake London at 6'4, 6'5. It's Auden Tate at 6'5. Sorry, I need to just making sure the fire's okay. Talk about the Falcons for a second. <sighs> okay. A lot of big dudes, and then Demir Honey, Bird, live on the who podcast. breaks that whole thing. Um, we've got, yeah, there is a lot of big guys here. I, that's one, uh, one element to the strategy that they've had. I also like just generally the players that they've added. Um, and, in particular, the draft obviously is the biggest opportunity they had to actually get better once that they once they hit that reset button. Um, and the players that they've added were all high talent, high impact, high value positions, quarterback, pass rusher. Like they targeted the right areas to when you restart this rebuild. How Wide did the receiver. Fal- Falcons five year history? How did they get here? <sighs> Whatever we already that we gave the potted history of them. They make Matt Ryan's contract untradeable. They piss him off. They trade him. But even the before end, that, off, like they, they they had such a good roster and it just fell apart after their Super Bowl. Fell apart. The offensive line fell apart and is still 
a major question mark at, at three spots or two two or three spots uh defensively last year just no playmakers they couldn't rush the passer they didn't cover well on the back end I'm intrigued by you know, AJ Terrell had a, had a breakout season, looked pretty good in that system. Casey Hayward comes in opposite him. It's another one of those. Ah, you got this cornerback duo that could make it a little bit difficult for teams in, in certain games. And Grady Jarrett's still pretty good getting after the uh, quarterback. They haven't had a good edge rusher there in years, and they've been trying. They've been throwing first round picks at that for a while. It is full rebuild mode here, Sam. So another team, I think you're looking at. Where does Kyle Pitts? Look, how does he look in year two? Well, in his development, Drake London. You just you want to see signs of life for what the future is going to look like here. The their playmakers could be really intriguing this year because okay, you've got Marcus Mariota who oh presumably is going to bring a an unusual type of offense to the table. Like if you're not tapping into what what uh, Mar- Mariota brings in terms of rushing threat, you have got some. I mean, you're just leaving money on on the floor. Um, And not only that, but you're probably accelerating the rate at which you see Desmond Ritter uh, at quarterback. But So let's assume you're tapping into some kind of rushing threat with Mariota. Then you have Drake London, who was this really big, athletic wide receiver prospect, arguably the best wide receiver in this draft class, Um, will get talked about as just this contested catch guy only but could separate as well. Like, isn't just that. And we're seeing that in training camp right now. The dude is tying corners and knots, route running before the ball ever gets anywhere near him. Um, So you've got Drake London. You've got Kyle Pitts, who was spectacular last year, largely as a number one wide receiver, not as a tight end, but has that flexibility. You've got Cordero Patterson, who had a career year, was an arguably like an all-pro caliber player in that running back role. Um, You add players to him. Felipe Franks was like the worst quarterback in the league last year based off his one pass, which was a pick six or whatever. <laughs> Dude transitions to tight end in camp, and he's like wrecking people. Uh, it's the Florida way. All their quarterbacks become tight ends. So I'm just saying that's a group of playmakers that could actually do some damage throughout the league if they can, if the offensive line holds up and you know they, that offensive scheme is actually functional. Like, they've got some players that will concern people. For whatever it's worth, too. I thought Mariota, in, when he came in last year, arm looked a little bit better. I never thought Mariota had, like, a cannon for an arm. He just had a quick release, got rid of it. I thought his arm looked pretty good. He's always had that athleticism, but I, I never thought his athleticism played on the field. He took too many sacks. He didn't, uh, he didn't create in the design running game or as a scrambler. I'm intrigued to just see what maybe the second phase of Mariota's career looks like. Because he's got tools. They did make the playoffs with him in Tennessee. They were just always kind of this 9-7 and team. And he never took the next step. He was not a bad starter. He was just a low, mid-tier starter for the majority of his career in Tennessee. Um, We'll see if Mariota could take a, you know, be rejuvenated here. So now I'm kind of excited to watch the Falcons the way you laid it all out. I'm excited by their offense. I think the defense could still be a pretty major work in progress. But the offense, I, I like the playmakers. And Mariota is at least interesting as a quarterback, even if he's limited and may not be good He because of that rushing threat. And you have to assume that they're going to use that. Like That just makes this offense potentially really dangerous. Arnold Ebicati is the other guy I'm looking at. Second-round pick, really liked him as a pass rusher. So got some guys to watch on the Falcons. I think it's another year where you have to say, I, I don't expect them to compete for the playoffs, even in a week 
NFC. Maybe they make a little bit of a run. Um, year two across the board, I think you just got to look at, okay, again, what does 2023 look like? Who's a part of this team going forward? Get some of those, you know, a star like Deion Jones just had a rough season last year in coverage, and, you know, that's not his game. You got to get him back on track. What? Who's a part of the rebuild here in Atlanta? I also think they should be the team that just embraces positionless football and has everybody cross-trained at multiple positions. Remember last year, there was that random thing where Cordero Patterson was going to play safety, and they were, like, seriously entertaining it for some reason. So you've got Patterson, who can play running back, wide receiver, and safety. You've got Felipe Franks, who can play bad quarterback and tight end. You've got Kyle Pitts, who can play tight end and wide receiver. Let's, let's give Drake London the opposite. Let's make him wide receiver and tight end. Troy Anderson, the linebacker, was a running back and quarterback and other things in college. So let's, let's have Troy Anderson playing honestly, some offense. Honestly, I'm all for it. I mean, when you watch uh, what Shohei's doing in, in baseball, and we, you know, we, um, we use war numbers all the time, and war is kind of related to position and stuff. Like, how could you steal some win shares by moving by, you know, you see Justin Reed position hit a 65-yard field goal in Chiefs camp? Really? We, why do we need – we don't need a kicker. Get, Get rid of him. doing it. Yeah. Forget this specialization. 65 yards. That's legit. So there you go, Falcons. Embrace positionless football. Go get them. Do you think we see Desmond Ritter this year? Yeah. You do? I mean, yeah. Why would we not? Because I think it's Mario. Maybe late in the year they give him a shot if yeah. they're out of the playoff. That's the thing. The, the Falcons will probably be bad. I mean, Mariota might play okay, but he's not going to be amazing. He's not going to play so well that there will be no incentive to play Desmond Ritter at any point during this season. They're going to reach a point where they haven't won very many games. They're well out of it. Mariota's playing fine, but, like, you have this dude sitting there who might be your future. Let's, I mean, this, it's the Giants thing, except instead of Eli Manning, it's Marcus Mariota. Why would you not take a look at the rookie late in the year? By the way, Florida's history of QBs converting to tight end. <laughs> You've got... Uh, what is this history beyond Tebow? Jordan Reed. Okay. Clay Burton. Uh, Cornelius Ingram. Tebow. Felipe Franks now. Yeah. Um, I believe... Wasn't Jeff Driscoll taking tight end snaps Probably. at one point? Certainly talked about. And I might be missing one. It, it's not just a, a one-off. Like, literally, Florida, all of Florida's quarterbacks can't play quarterback in this place. I, th- I think that's more an indictment of how bad the quarterbacks are. If we hear, uh, Kyle Trask is having a rough camp at, uh, for the Bucs. If he starts moving to tight end, we, you know, you know it's a thing. Kyle and Trask. honestly, Anthony Richardson, who's the starter for Florida right now, might be a future tight end. Just saying. Dude can run. Uh, but don't know if he can throw. All right. What's the Falcons over on? I didn't even look this thing up yet. I'm mm. trying to figure out what the heck's happening next door over here. Over-under is only five for the Falcons. They're going to go over that. Six? six I don't minutes? feel great about the team, but we just, oh, man, I started talking about like, all oh, big receivers, and they're going to do some stuff. They're going to beat the Panthers Remember, twice, maybe? They won seven games last year and then blew it up. They won seven games, and it was a, it was a week seven. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Over, under. I'm going to go over the five, though. I, yeah, but only one. Six. Six. They win six games. Six That's wins. it. All right, let's move on to the Panthers. They're over under six and a half. You think the Panthers are a game and a half better than the uh, Falcons? I think. I didn't set the odds. Vegas. Talk to me. How much did Baker Mayfield? Vegas. I mean, Baker Mayfield definitely. Their win. Do you remember that? Right. No. That was the thing. They their win total went down when they traded for Baker Mayfield. Why? Why? (laughs) That makes no sense. I mean, he's much better than Sam Darnold. Yes. 
So I don't know why. Remember the Panthers started 3-0 last year. Sam Darnold was looking pretty decent, and then it all fell apart. Oh, yeah. Hard. Um, offensive line has gone through a bit of an overhaul here. Doesn't mean they're, they're not out of the woods there, I think, so from I wanna, a line standpoint. Let's start by saying that I like almost everything the Panthers have done this offseason. A year removed from, from you hating, hating everything they did. Everything yes. that they did. You like some, all their moves. Somebody emailed in and was complaining about all the hate we gave we give towards carolina like when are you going to talk well we're going to talk about it now because now we've got to the carolina preview part but i like almost everything they did the one so the the move that they made that i hate the most they did before free agency they locked up ian thomas to a contract that he had no business being paid for reasons that completely escape any rational thought. It was before free agency. They hadn't even let him hit the open market to find out there would be no market and locked him up to a deal that was way more than he would have ever got on the open market. That move made no sense whatsoever. I have no justification for it other than they like Ian Thomas and wanted to keep him around, which frankly is a pretty bad reason for throwing somebody multi-millions of dollars. But anyway, hated that move. From that point on, I think I've liked every single move they've made. Um, they brought in good players across the board, clear upgrades at important positions, and a lot of them, they haven't had to, they haven't had to sell the farm to do any of it. Right? They were in this tough position of the draft of we have no quarterback, number six overall uh, in terms of draft pick, and then nothing else for like the next three rounds. So, do we take a quarterback knowing that there's no quarterback worth that position, or do we take a player that should be a huge upgrade and then hope we can figure quarterback out later? They did the latter. They got, I guess, kind of lucky in that a quarterback slid as far as they were in position to grab him. They jump up a little bit to get Matt Corral. Great roll of the dice. And then you end up in a position to throw a trade for Baker Mayfield later. I, I love all of that. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I just don't know how much it affects the on-field product this year. And it's, by the way, it's still like future looking stuff because you're looking for your next quarterback. And all in that. addition to just generally liking their moves, they've also brought in guys that are like my guys. They brought in Rashad Higgins. And that was before the Baker Mayfield thing. So it's Higgins to it's Mayfield to Higgins again. They also brought in Matt Ioannidis, another guy I love. So what I like the team? moves they've made and they brought in guys I love. So you're going way over the six and a half of the Panthers here. <laughs> um this is all i mean the the referendum on baker mayfield is going to be the thing to watch like a how long does it take them to actually give him the job because we're perpetuating with this like oh it's an open competition thing now look uh, fine it might be but it really shouldn't take very long for you to say this guy's better than that guy give him the starting gig but matt rule has already been talking about you know it's not going to happen until like a couple of preseason games have been played and all this kind of stuff we're like it's gonna be a while before we get a number one quarterback out of this if it's anything other than Baker Mayfield, Is everybody really? might as well. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's going to go back on that. Like, they're going to rotate them in preseason and stuff. And whether or not they're whether or not they're, not they're being honest about this actually being a, you know, a competition or whether or not they've already given the job to somebody and they're just waiting to play out, yeah, that's the timeline. Christian McCaffrey's back. They're yeah. going to give him the full workload. Let's look on the positive side here of what this could look like. Because last year at this time, we were saying the offensive line looks terrible. However, DJ Moore's really good. And Robbie Anderson has been good for the majority of his career. He's coming off a, a horrible season. Awful. He's, he's generally played better than that. So can you get Robbie Anderson back? He changed his name from Robbie with a Y to Robbie with an IE. 
Uh, that doesn't feel like a name change. It's a name change. It's, well, it's a spelling change. Yeah. It's a spelling change, technically. So you got Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. You mentioned Richard Higgins coming in. Terrace Marshall's last year. Uh, last year was a rookie. Didn't do a whole lot. That's a decent group. I still don't love tight end, as you mentioned, Ian Thomas leading the way there. But you have Christian McCaffrey. And remember we said, too, you can convince yourself, oh, they're 3-0 and with Christian McCaffrey. And, and they did. Team and they uh, did. But, I mean, McCaffrey does make a bigger impact than most running backs yeah. around the NFL. What he does in the pass game, he's a very good runner. He's a workhorse. Uh, when he's out there, takes, he plays every snap. So there's something to that. I'm also intrigued by the secondary. Remember last year they traded for C.J. Henderson, a, a failed first-rounder with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they didn't get to see J.C. Horn, their first round corner so you've got that tandem but what they did see looked really good remember like he was like he lasted a couple of weeks or something but in those couple of weeks he hadn't given up a catch or something insane like his numbers were nuts bring in xavier woods at safety jeremy chin's been a positionless football dude for them for a couple of years so there's intrigue here with the panthers i just don't know if it's enough to to get over that six and a half and like you said it all comes down to what is what is Baker Mayfield? Yeah, J.C. Horn lasted two and a half weeks, and in that time he'd given up one catch for eight yards. Yeah, so they could be one of those you know feisty secondaries. Derek Brown looked looked better on the defensive interior. They had a lot of guys from their 2020 class just kind of step up, chin, and Derek Brown like take that step forward in year two. If they get some of that this year, that defense could look pretty solid. Yeah, remember they had that draft where they they drafted everybody on defense, but so far. Jeremy Chin has been, I think, by far the best player they've had, and the rest of them haven't really become what they were expected to become. Um, Derek Brown, in particular, hasn't been the guy that he was supposed to be. Even, and remember, there was a sort of, there was a lot of talk about Derek Brown because he was a dominant run defender who hadn't really shown a ton as a pass rusher. And if you're talking about taking a guy that high in the draft, how good does he need to be? against the run if he's not going to offer anything as a pass rusher or conversely how much better does he need to be as a pass rusher for you to take him that high they took Derek Brown that high and he hasn't really been either of those things he's been better as a pass rusher than a run defender arguably but hasn't been good enough for either of them to justify that spot so now you're like well okay what is what is Derek Brown going forward um but it's Jeremy Chin and Derek Brown the rest of that group Ioannidis I think is a good addition They've got some players that can work, but the thing is, I mean, really, the I, I don't care about the defense, to be honest. I think they've got a lot of players. It should be okay, but we need to see if they have a quarterback out of nowhere in the Baker Mayfield thing. Uh, one, more, one more thing to just put a bow on the Panthers. We've seen Baker as one of those guys who needs a good offensive line, I would say, or a good scheme that's going to protect him. He's He's been a guy that... Just when Greg Robinson's out there at left tackle, it's like, I know it's Greg Robinson. I'm a little, I'm a little itchy in the pocket, right? When you, when you don't have yeah. the security. He will not have the same security that he had with the Browns no. last year. It's a worse offensive Last line. two years. But really. it should be a lot better than it was last year. Yes. Ikki Ikuanu probably steps in at left tackle. I don't know if he's really solidified that spot yet. Brady Christensen could step in at guard. We liked him coming out of BYU. He's a little bit older. Austin Corbett comes in. He's been solid. But it's him and Taylor Moton as the top two guys there and then a couple what ifs including the first round pick Iguanu. so it could be bad again on the offensive line but it's at least moving in the right direction yeah there's definitely a world though where like four-fifths of this offensive line is good and actually maybe even maybe even the complete unit. Bradley Bozeman maybe yeah like I, I don't understand over. why Bozeman wouldn't start over Elfline 
in any kind of like fair competition. He's a better player than Elfline and always has been. So it, all of a sudden, if you had Moton, Corbett, Bozeman, Equanu, if he played at any kind of capable level year one, that's four fifths of an offensive line that's pretty good. Christensen at left guard in you know in his second season could actually be fine. Like all of a sudden, that could be five starters that are okay which would be huge for that offensive line relative to where it was a year ago. DJ Moore is a really good player and appears to be pretty quarterback proof. Robbie Anderson had an abysmal year last year. But if there's a quarterback that can like rekindle what Robbie Anderson does well, the designated deep threat thing, it's Baker Mayfield. Like that dude will throw the ball deep, you know, at at the Haven't Robbie's bad years just coincided with Sam Darnold pretty much? I mean, yeah. Um like Baker will throw the ball deep and his his big time throw rate is like the fifth highest in the league since he came into it. You know, his problems are the bad plays. Yeah. It's not the lack of good plays. Um so Baker will I think make Robbie Anderson a big target again. And all of a sudden you add DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, if Terrace Marshall can stay healthy and develop in year two, if, if Christian McCaffrey comes back, if that offensive line is halfway decent, there's a world where that offense is what it was supposed to be a year ago with a different quarterback. Are you going over or under the six and a half year for the Panthers? Uh, under six. They are going to win six games as well. Yeah, I think I got to go under too. As much as I'd like to see Baker Mayfield rejuvenate his career and carry the squad, I don't, I don't see it happening. Under six and a half for the Panthers. All right. Where, hang on. What do you think he ends up doing this year? So, okay, the team doesn't win more games. Or the, team wins, the team wins six games, but Baker's the starter, plays the whole year. What does his year look like? 75 grade, mid-tier stats. 75 grade, mid-tier. That would be, like, that would be the worst year of his career outside of last year, right? No, last year in 2019. 2019 wasn't it was lower than that. 2019 was like a 75 grade, pretty much. It was lower on. than that, I think. 74.8. Was it? Yep. Yeah. Looks a little bit better than 2019, I'd say. Okay. Because 2019 was the Freddie Kitchens year, which is yeah. like a train wreck. This that was one thing. of those, he played better than all of the other results around him, too. Yeah. And this is the thing when people talk about Mayfield's career is that like his worst year, other than when he was playing with a torn shoulder... It wasn't that bad at all. And the good years are pretty good. Yeah, the good years are good. But they even had like six and seven game stretches where he was, it just, it is a weird career so far for Baker Mayfield. So he ends up at about a 75 grade. And then he's probably looking for another starting spot, starting job at the end of the, at the end of the year. I mean, if he gets, if he plays at a 75 grade, he's probably not getting one. Probably not. Then we'll see what happens. All right, New Orleans Saints, over under for them is eight and a half. Another team, fascinating offseason for the Saints here. You've got turnover on the offensive line. Teron Armstead's gone. Uh, Jameis Winston, they bring him back. You know, they, we didn't know exactly what they were going to do at quarterback, but they bring Jameis. They were in the Deshaun Watson um, courting as well, whatever you want to call it. They end up going back to Jameis Winston, who coming off of an injury last year. The Saints, they battled last year, man. They had that defense that... I always describe their defense as like they can look like the league's best a couple couple weeks out of the year, usually against the Bucs. Um, but they have the pieces, right? They, they're big and long on the defensive line, and they, they, they could have a really, really good secondary in New Orleans. You lose Marcus Williams. You bring in Tyron Matthew. 
lot of movement here for the Saints. Chris Olave comes in. They went and got him in the draft. What are you looking for with the Saints this season? And, of course, Sean Payton retiring. And Sean Payton and retired, the, by the way. The yeah. Tampering, you know, accusations, documentation, whatever. The Dolphins were accused of tampering. Yes. Not, no, I know that. Not Sean Payton. Uh, well, he, they were accused of tampering Sean Payton. Right. So I'm not entirely sure why. So, yeah, okay, the Dolphins have been accused and presumably convicted, I guess, is the term given that they've been punished for it, of tampering both Sean Payton and Tom Brady. Why is there not an all, Why is there not a reciprocal conviction and punishment for Tom Brady and Sean Payton? They were because also teams tam- because teams tamper. First off, there's a rule: teams are the ones who tamper, not players. Right, but at the point where those guys are like, because you don't know the extent of like, if you answer the phone call, like, hey, it's the New Orleans Saints, but, or no, hey, it's on, the wait, Dolphins wait, wait, wait. calling. That's not what we're talking about here. Like in the documentation, there's like visits to the team yacht and stuff. Like this is. Like, it's egregious. <laughs> not, it's not like they cold call Sean Payton and he couldn't get off the phone for 10 minutes. It's like... You don't know the extent of it. I'm just, particularly the Tom Brady thing. It's like that dude was like having lunch on the yacht and stuff. Like, this is not Tom Brady entrapped into some kind of entrapment friends, situation. Friends can't just have lunch on a yacht, okay? Uh-huh. What kind of world do we live in here? Anyway, I'm just wondering where the, you know, where's the punishment? Stay on point here. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the point is they don't have Sean Payton anymore. Who, you know, Drew Brees and Sean Payton was the combination that led to this team winning more games than pretty much anybody else over the last X number of years. They've been one of the perennial contenders because of those two guys. Now, neither of them are there anymore. And And we have to see what this looks like in a post-success landscape. And until last year, we had seen Sean Payton win with other quarterbacks, right? We'd seen him win with Teddy Bridgewater and with Taysom Hill. Last year, it got a little bit crazy. You know, Trevor Simeon out there and Taysom Hill didn't really play all that well. Um, Jameis is the... He's the fascinating one, man, because because it was such a small sample size that we saw of him last year. You've been citing touchdown to interception ratio a lot, right? 14 to 3. Yeah. 102.8 passer rating. In this small sample, it looks like Jameis was excellent. EPA, a lot of things look good. The reality was he had a 66 passing grade, 74 overall grade. He had a lower turnover worthy play rate than usual, but still high. But you, you want know? to know what's funny is that the so everyone sort of Trevor Simeon didn't play particularly well last year, and I think everybody acknowledges that. Trevor Simeon's touchdown interception rate was eleven to three, so you know it, it, we pick and choose when we care about this. It, yeah, I mean maybe Drew Brees was a system quarterback this entire time. Look at all those stats. I mean, the, here are Jameis's games too. Remember the first game of the season, he only dropped back. He only threw twenty passes and had five touchdowns against the Packers. He had other games where he dropped back only had only 22 attempts and 21 attempts. I mean, it was as game managery as they could get out of Jameis Winston and when they did have him drop back a little bit more, it wasn't great, you know, or even some of the small sample sizes, it wasn't great. Um so I don't know if we learned a whole lot about Jameis Winston and what this is going to look like with the Saints other than they had enough around him to not put a ton on him and they ran the ball and they played pretty good defense and they won some games early on and he put up some decent stats. But I don't know if we have learned enough about what James is going to look like. Well, I would imagine he looks Saints. like what he's always looked like. The The intriguing thing about last year is that he did look a little bit different um, because we did see a reduction in the bad plays and the thing that always stays consistent with James and with Sean Payton pulling the strings you could definitely talk yourself into a world where Jameis Winston is a different quarterback in this offense but now Peyton's not there 
and you're just sort of relying on Jameis continuing whatever the lessons were by himself when in addition to whatever batshit training methods Jameis does for Instagram, it doesn't feel as likely. Um, but you should have a completely transformed receiving core. Michael Thomas looks like he's going to be coming back and healthy. Chris Olave, obviously the, the big offseason addition in the draft. They brought in Jarvis Landry, Deontay Hardy, formerly Deontay Harris. Um, was there sort of limited sample size, big play threat last year? But if you actually look at his numbers, that guy's got some insane data points against like press coverage and the stuff that a guy that size shouldn't really be good at doing. Man, I would I would keep I would give him more snaps. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that's all of a sudden like four guys that are dangerous. Marquez Callaway was supposed to be like the number one last year. Couldn't have I bought that. in, man. I bought into that preseason hype. He was looking good, man. But all of a sudden if he's like your number four or five, that's better. It's huge. Trevor Penning. Yeah. So look, I love what the potential is with that receiving core. Alave and Michael Thomas, just as a one-two punch, could be really, really good. I, they they don't have much at tight end, I think, as far as the pass game goes. Uh, the offensive line, I think, is going to – they're facing more scrutiny than, than they've had in the past just because you don't have Teron Armstead on paper yet, but you have Trevor Penning coming in. He's you know being mean and doing all the, the stuff that he does. Already got himself kicked out of practice. Kicked out of practice, the whole thing. But but, apparently but, that was for the third straight day of starting a fight or something. <laughs> Which the whole line people are loving it, man. The most predictable Trevor Penning story of the offseason is that at some point he was going to get turfed out of practice for Yeah, fighting. what were the odds? Can we get some odds on Penning getting tossed out of practice? What about thrown out of games? Is he going to get kicked out of games? Maybe. Is he going to get ejected? I mean, he's he's talked about how this is a, like a conscious strategy. It's not like he's just a douche. Like he, When he was playing at a small school, he worked, he reasoned that you needed to kind of keep doing this stuff to jump at it on tape. That's what his coach Duke said. That's and, how you, right. That's and then he he's did. also talked about how he specifically wants to make the opposition hate him. Cause you do the, like, they're not going to, you know, when you have to deal with this every day or every time you play every snap, when you're playing against him, that's going to annoy the crap out of you. And it's probably not make you play better. Either way, he's still like a, he's still a rookie tackle. Yeah, rookie tackles are you know, and one of the had they're some tough flaws in this game. Yeah, and yeah. is making a jump in competition, all this kind of stuff. Pass protection still might be an issue. So we're talking about a Saints team that for years had the best tackle duo in the NFL and a good uh, a good center in Eric McCoy. I think the guards still aren't great. Three fifths of the offensive line might have be a question when it used to be like one guy. I mean, four fifths could be. Four fifths could be. So anyway, that's what. Yeah, four fifths actually could they be. Have, McCoy's pretty good. They brought in Jerry Evans as I think a coach or maybe a consultant or something like that. Remember the former Saints Pro Bowl guard? He was good. Yeah, I I'm curious. You know what sort of wisdom he can impart on Andres Pete and Cesar uh, Cesar Ruiz, and you know can he actually make a difference to this group? Because those those are very talented guys. Were high draft picks. Were you know, guys that we expected to be good and they haven't been. Evans was about as good as it got at the guard position. Is he able to impart that wisdom or is that just I'm better than you were? So unlucky. Like I said earlier, defensively, this secondary, I think, can be special. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore on one side has has been very good for the majority of his career. Paul, uh, Paulson Adebo at the other cornerback spot liked him last year. Been getting a lot of training camp hype. He's getting the hype. He's breaking up a pass per training camp practice. That's good. Per day. Um, that's what's happening right now. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, kind of a playmaking type in the slot. Tyron Matthew and Marcus May. So you've got that safety turnover. 
But you brought in some pretty good players. May's coming off of a down year. Matthew, though, I think he's a like-for-like. Like. He's a different player than Marcus Williams, but probably a like-for-like like replacement as far as production goes. Marcus Williams was more of a true free safety. Matthew's, Matthew can move around a little bit more. Um, and like I said earlier, too, the Saints have those games where the pass rush just looks very good and it just pairs up with the secondary that makes life difficult on opposing quarterbacks. I think they still have all that with Dennis Allen running the show. Yeah, I think I think their defense will be good. Um, it's a unit that's capable, I think, at all three levels. It should be strong on the defensive line. Demario Davis, that linebacker, has been one of the best linebackers in the league since he arrived in New Orleans. That secondary group is talented, and in particular, if Adebo does carry his uh, training camp performance into um, the regular season, that would be huge for them. I, I like the Saints' defense. I think it should be a good unit again, and then it's a case of what they can get out of the offense. So what does that look like? Alvin Kamara, what's he dealing with as far as – does he have suspension pending? Uh, possibly. He Possible has, suspension for Kamara. Legal issues working their way out. They brought Mark Ingram back. Mark Ingram in the one-two punch here. What does this look like, man? It comes down to it comes down to Jameis. Yeah, comes pretty down much. to Jameis. Like every, I mean, I, it's what's Steve going to say about each team? Well, it comes here's down the thing. to the quarterback. So different to a year ago, we were trying to figure out what Jameis would look like in the Sean Payton offense and whether Sean Payton could curb the risky tendencies of Jameis Winston and produce something better than he's had in the past. That is probably out the window now. But now you're looking. Okay, so if we rewind and we go back to like gunslinging Jameis. That looks a lot better when you have this receiving group than Agreed. it did from a year ago. If you had gunslinging Jameis, where this number one receiving option was Marquez Callaway, you're like, well, that just there's no way that works well. Now, if you've got gunslinging Jameis and you have Chris Olave and Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry and Deontay Hardy and Marquez Callaway, all right, I'm I'm here for that. And Traquan Smith is still there, man. They got a lot of people. Kevin White's in camp. Don't forget Taysom Hill. Kevin White might not. Taysom Hill. Kevin White might not make the team. Anyway, I, I'm with you, man. Unleash Jameis. I'm liking the Saints this year. I think they're going to be a solid team. The other part, too, as I mentioned a few times as well, Saints and the Chiefs, best drafting team since 2014 and, and even beyond. The Saints continue to just hit on draft picks even though they draft less, draft less than most teams. Guys like Pete Warner had a really good season last year. Um, they're hitting on some of their picks. I do think maybe, I mean, we'll see. They do need. And they need to this year because remember the strategy was like trade everything to get back into the first round twice so we can get the wide receiver and the left tackle. They gave up so much. Um, this year they're going to need uh, last year's first rounder, Peyton Turner, probably to step up. That defense works so much better when they get the three uh, edge defenders, the three pass rushers. And when they had Trey Hendrickson a couple years ago to go with Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport, they could really use Peyton Turner, who's another big, long defensive end i mean they've just got incredible size up front that is they have a strategy and a type up front that makes life difficult on opposing offensive lines so what are you looking at over or under eight and a half here for the saints i'm going over i'm feeling it saints are good going over eight and a half well obviously they'll sweep the bucks that'll help Um, so you start with two wins against the bucks and then you have two games apiece against the panthers and the falcons it's huge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, you talk me into it. Over nine. Over nine wins with the Saints. All right, one last team. I don't believe we forgot anyone. Hopefully not. That would be bad. That would be bad in this long show. Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, their over under is eleven and a half, as high as it gets right now. Right up there with the Bills. 
Super Bowl or bust for maybe the last year of the career, Tom Brady. Just mm. turned 45. That's what he says the goal was. Like to, like to play to 45. This I'm a, kind of I'm, – I'm pretty annoyed now that he's just going to walk away still at the peak at 45. You don't know that. He could drop off this year. It feels like he owes it to science at this point to be doing this at 57 years old and still playing at a Pro Bowl level. I need to find out where the cliff is. Peyton Manning, the cliff was 39, and he was done. Toast. Absolutely abysmal at that point. Like, dragged his ass to a Super Bowl and somehow won because everything else around him was amazing. Brett Favre, 40. Joe Montana, like, right. 32. We have a very clear cliff, Mark, for every one of these guys. And Tom Brady is going to just walk away from the game on the back of another MVP in Super Bowl at 45, still looking like he was when he was 21 years old. I, no, that can't happen. You need to keep going until the cliff hits. And I don't care if it's 62. I need to see it. 62 would be fun. <laughs> it's just, but at this point, you have to keep going. You are like pioneering for science. Science needs to know how far avocados can take you. And if avocados can take you into your 60s in the NFL, we need to know that. I liked your theory of he should just go to a bunch of different teams. He win a Super Bowl with the Browns and then win Which one. Every with team the that hasn't Lions had one so far. And yeah. The Texans and just, you know, win one. Every team that guys. hasn't got a ring so far should just queue up and then Brady goes, gets you one, and then moves on to the next one. So the Bucks still look loaded again. It's different from last year, because last year they were coming off the Super Bowl win and all they did was bring back every single player. Yeah. That's all they did. They brought back every single player. They were very good again. Um, but injuries hit down the stretch. They lost to the Rams in the divisional round. And this year, it's it's a slightly different looking team. They don't have the entire offensive line back. Shaq Mason comes in. That was a steal mm-hmm. in the fifth round. But now you're talking about they re-sign Ryan Jensen, big contract. He gets hurt in camp. We yeah. are assuming he's out for the season. They're waiting to put him on IR to see if he could potentially return. Pro- I'm guessing he's probably out for the season. Yes. Robert Haynes is going to step in most likely and be the center. So there's a question there. And there's, there was always a question at left guard. They thought they were coming into the season with just one spot to fill. It was going to be this battle, Nick Leverett and Aaron Stinney and Luke Gadecki, their uh, rookie. So that's still a, a battle, but it, it is much different than what they've had previously. Brady protects guys, but you also, you don't want any holes up front. No, it's, it's potentially a big loss with Ryan Jensen. On the other hand, it also gives the Bucks an opportunity to sort of show what the position they were in a year ago like this is you draft Robert Hainsey in the third round a season ago, right? With no shot of him starting because Ryan Jensen is your center. It's contingency. You had a really good roster. You were in a position to be able to draft depth and contingency. Now you need that contingency. So if they were able to get it right a year ago with Robert Hainsey and a year of him developing, that would be huge. If he's able to step in and be a capable starter, that's massive because yes, the, Whatever about what Tom Brady is right now, I would imagine you don't want any question marks on that offensive line with him at this age and his level of mobility right now. Just you don't want it. You know that he functions at an all-pro level behind a good offensive line. Let's not find out what happens when you don't have that. So that's huge for them is figuring out those two interior spots that are now question marks, left guard and center, and getting those to capable levels so that everything else functions. Then you get to see... Do we have Tom Brady still firing at the peak of his powers? What does this new-look receiving group look like of Evans and Godwin Bank, Russell Gage added to it, Julio Jones added to it as depth? Like, um, but you don't, you don't want to get to see what that looks like 
you know, if Brady's not working from uh, 100% behind this offensive line. No Gronk, probably, but Kyle Rudolph comes in. Cameron Braid's still there. Um, so it should still be a top-level offense. I'm intrigued by what they do schematically because, remember, this is the first time Brady was in a new system ever in 2020. It was still Bruce Arians' system, and it was like, oh, they're going to throw the ball down the field more, and they did. They like to use more traditional tight ends. Remember, they didn't move Gronk around a ton. But over the course of last year, you saw far less early down running. You saw far less um, maybe Arians' fingerprints on the offense, and it was a lot more Brady and Leftwich. It was a little bit more quick passing. It did. Is this all – are we going to see another evolution of the offense? Are we going to see more of just a straight spread offense? Are they going to use – you mentioned those four receivers. They also still have – one deep threat is going to emerge there, whether it's Scotty Miller or um, Cyril Grayson, who had some highlights down the stretch. He's like a track star. They're still going to have like one speed receiver there. Are they going to be rolling three and four receivers out there a ton? Or is it just because Chris Godwin's coming off the knee and they just really wanted the depth? So I want to see schematically if they do get away from some of the two and three tight end looks that they used a lot last year. And if they do spread the field and go with all the wide receiver talent that they have, Leonard Fournette comes back. He had one of his better years catching the ball and uh, he's looked better. I think over the last couple of years, as far as he's, he's not just like grab three yards every single run and can't catch the ball. He did evolve into a really nice underneath threat. So they have all the pieces offensively for Brady to put up big numbers again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the offensive line is a big question mark, but if that's, good again if that offensive line is fine I have every confidence that this will be a top tier offense and I'm fascinated to see what the breakdown of that receiving group ends up looking like so Todd Bowles is now the head coach he'll still be you know obviously it's his defense uh, he went zero blitz with the game on the line Matthew Stafford Cooper Cup that's the last time we really saw Todd Bowles so I don't think the defense is going to look different schematically you do you do have some turnover guys like Indomik and Sue who just played a ton of snaps but maybe not all that productive you replace him with a guy like Akeem Hicks next to Vita Vea uh, you have Logan Ryan coming in to play some safety instead of Jordan Whitehead and uh, Mike Edwards is in there in the mix as well so just a little bit of turnover on the defensive side of the ball but still some really good pieces including a good one-two punch Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean uh, when they were battling injuries in the secondary last year, that was when the defense looked more susceptible. But overall, a good unit over these last couple of years. Yeah, they could really use finding that second pass rusher. Um, Shaquille Barrett, I think, is a really good pass rusher. Uh, a top, maybe not a top-tier guy, but a next-tier down. Uh, he's not as good as T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett, but he's probably the top of the next tier of players, even with the the sack number he had. Um and as you said, this is a team that likes to blitz a lot, that likes to scheme pressure. Devin White blitzes an absolute ton, possibly to keep him out of coverage. Whatever. He's a good <laughs> blitzing linebacker. Um, but so that what I'm saying is they've got one good pass rusher. They're able to scheme up some pressure. That should make the job of the second pass rusher very easy. But it hasn't been. Jason Pierre-Paul you know, was, was okay for a while. Their first-round pick, Joe tryon Shayinka really didn't show much at all as a rookie despite because of the injuries to JPP and stuff that guy played a lot and his pressure rate for a guy that played as much as he did is almost unbelievably bad like particularly if I told you like as a level set this guy's absurdly athletic you know crazy athletic crazy fast this is how many snaps he played rushing the passer what is his pressure rate 
if you found out what the actual answer to that is, your mind would be blown. It's insane how little pressure he generated. Win rate of only 10%, 10.7%. Yeah. They moved him around a little bit, so he's rushing from the interior at times. But Tryon Shoyink has got a – remember, he had the hype coming out of the preseason. Yeah. Um, and, and look, he was when, – when they drafted him, we were talking about that as a project. Yeah. Because they had JPP and they and didn't I think need to play him. That's what showed. Sure. But – but they ended up with he ended up with a lot of playing time that was probably unexpected. And in that playing time, it's it's strange, not strange, it's potentially concerning how little pressure he generated. For a guy that's athletic as he is, you would have expected to see a little bit more of anything. And we didn't. So for him, you know, the project, even a project, you only get like a year, right? That was your redshirt year. You end up playing during your redshirt year. That's a tough break for you. This is the season where you need to show up and actually be that legit second pass rusher. Logan Hall out of Houston, similar. That's their first draft pick, early second rounder, 6'6", 280, put on some weight last year. Similar, I think, project type, who they'll probably just mix into the pass rushing rotation as well. So they like to blitz a lot in Tampa Bay. I think they'll keep that. Here's my, my one big question with Todd Bowles taking over for Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians was on the conservative end for a guy that likes to be aggressive schematically he's on the conservative end punts when you think you're supposed to punt and all that stuff right. i remember um ryan fitzpatrick and i did a super bowl preview hmm. a couple of years ago for nbc fitz my old colleague hmm. and he was he was coming off his first year with todd bowles and he was talking about how todd bowles went and they went you know, todd just loves to zero blitz he just loves to blitz everybody but fitz said he zero blitzed Tannehill and the dolphins like 22 straight times in a game it was like week four and Fitz was saying, he's like, man, that that just everybody loved that aggressiveness. Like that he people bought in to Todd Bowles just because he was so aggressive. Now, does that carry over to him as a coach? Um, if if there was a weakness from Arians, I think it was a little too conservative on fourth downs and fourth and ones. When you have this incredible offense, you have Tom Brady, you could be more aggressive. Does Bowles bring that to the table? Is he just or is he just aggressive within his scheme, kind of like Bruce Arians is, but less so as a game manager. I'm curious if there's some differences there, either in Brady and Leftwich running the offense and also Todd Bowles from a game management standpoint. Yeah, it's a good question. And not just the the sort of fourth down stuff, the two-point stuff, but like all of the all of those kind of special teams tricks, I guess, unusual quirks that are generally associated with like aggression, they didn't do any of last year. Like fake, you know, fake kicks, fake punts all that kind of stuff but they just didn't do any of it uh you know reasonably so because you got tom brady in the offense and everything's working fine but like other people did that as well you know and mixed in a fake punt every now and again you, they didn't any of it so yeah that will be intriguing to see if they can steal some percentage you know win percentage points just through being more aggressive and whether being an aggressive play caller as a, a defensive coach and blitzing actually corresponds with does that mean you're going to go for it more on fourth down decisions? Because in theory, it almost like when you work out the, the, when you sketch out the reasons people use for being conservative and kicking the ball away, it's trust the defense. So yeah. actually it might work against it. You know, a guy that thinks his defense is great and is going to blitz the crap out of you on defense might be willing to kick it away and then blitz the crap out of you for the next drive, as opposed to understanding that that, the aggressiveness is working two different sides of that. What do we think this offense looks like 
Mike Mike Evans, who always seems to have like a hamstring issue, like little things, but he's pretty durable. Like he plays a lot of football, gets banged up a little bit within games and at a small level. Chris Godwin's coming off the knee injury. They went out. The guy they got was Russell Gage. They got him in free agency. Here's a guy who can win inside, outside. They want to feature him. They want to. They want to have that depth. Remember, they lost Antonio Brown last year, and then Godwin got hurt, and the depth fell apart. And then on top of that, they bring in Julio Jones. You know, if do they think Julio's just straight up going to be a one A to Mike Evans? Is he literally just a twenty five snap guy right now, and then see what he has for the playoffs? Yeah, I think Julio is just a like a contingency low risk high reward addition at this point you bring him in he didn't look i mean he showed flashes of his previous self but what if he looks like he was three years ago yeah what i mean if, if julio be? steps in it turns out you got like prime atlanta julio jones out of nowhere then obviously he becomes a starter and you start looking to run three wide and whatever but i think that's unlikely the question is like if we don't need to use julio much during the season what do we? What will he look like in the playoffs? Or if we end up getting injured late in the year from somewhere, can you know what does he look like if he steps into the bigger role? If he has to become Chris Godwin or Mike Evans or Russell Gage late in the year, that I think is what they're planning. Is like let's not let's not lean on him too much. We don't need anything from Julio Jones. But what we could really use is if somebody goes down for him to step in and be able to replace that guy because he was the best wide receiver in the NFL back in his prime and i'll just say i think this offense looks better when there's one speed guy and over the last three years it's been as i mentioned earlier scotty miller it's been cyril grayson last year brashad perryman filled that spot a little bit if you don't have to rely on those guys in high volume areas and it's just hey run off a safety every now and again brady's gonna hit you with a deep ball every now and then you need one of those guys because the rest of the team's not fast scotty julio and evans godwin and gage aren't that fast i don't know what their offseason plan was or what they've been doing but scotty miller should have spent the entire offseason stapled to Brady's pockets from the moment Brady said he was coming back to try and get back in his good books because Scotty Miller you're right he has that he had the deep role within this offense and he's the one guy there that has the kind of blazing deep speed um but Miller and Grayson has it too he's a track star but he just finally learned how to catch the ball Miller got himself in the doghouse and basically lost the gig last year like he made he had a couple of plays in relatively quick succession in a couple over a couple of weeks where he was in the wrong place he read something wrong he just did wasn't where he was supposed to be and at least on one of them he cost Brady a pretty ugly looking interception and then just wasn't like he was just buried from that point on now that guy should have been spent like the entire offseason working with Tom Brady you know getting coached up by Brady aside from anything else but also working your way back into the good graces so that if you need that role again, you can be the guy. Because if they show up and, like, Brady just still doesn't trust him, Miller's not, like, A, Miller's not going to have that role. And B, the Bucks miss out on a pretty important component of the offense because Brady doesn't trust the guy with the most natural skill set to do it. All right, over-under for the Bucks, 11 and a half. As high as any other team in the league. Where are you mm. going with it? Um... I mean, I, I'll go over on the basis that they should probably win at least 12 games, but it's always that's always a high number. 13 and four last year. You know, it, it comes last year. We said the thing that can derail them is offensive line health, offensive line, defensive back health. Yeah, we and both of those things happened. The O line didn't happen until the very end, though. Tristan Worst gets hurt, 
and it showed up in the playoffs. I mean, they, they lost. They're already off to a rough start with Ryan Jensen getting hurt. Yeah. They lost two games to the Saints last year and still won 13 games. So right. I'm going to go with a 12-win season at least. Do they beat the Saints in the regular season? 0-4 in two years. I mean, it's tough to beat James Winston ever. But they beat him in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. Two years ago. I'll say over the 11.5 for the Bucs. Is this it for Tom Brady? Yeah, it sounds like it. Last year for Brady, do they win a Super Bowl? In his last year. It's an even year. He has not, not won a Super Bowl in an even year since 2012. Then why not? Why not? Let's give him give That's him a real stat, by the way. way. <laughs> Isn't that stupid? The last even year that Brady has not quarterbacked a Super Bowl winning team. Is that right? That is right. It's 2012. So you got to keep with the... I mean, those are trends. Well, look, he's going to go out on top. Like, if there's one thing Brady's career essentially commands at this point... It's that he walks off having won a Super Bowl that no, year. He's going to... can't leave not winning one. No, he's going to like win the Super Bowl and then buy the Jaguars and kick ter- Trevor Lawrence out and take over at quarterback or something. That's what's going to happen. How much, so, you know, the, the, the thing is like ownership consortiums, you know? You got to get a group. You can't just do it yourself. The, the day, for some reason, nobody wants to be Jerry Jones. Which is ironic to me because that seems like the best existence in the world is Love to, to just Jerry Jones. buy yourself a football team for like on they he you know how much he paid for the Cowboys? So the Cowboys are now like valued at like seven point eight billion or something according to Forbes. You know how much he paid for them? A couple hundred million. Yeah, it was like one hundred and forty million yeah. back in the eighties or Piece wherever it was. They, so I mean, walk, we all should have made that investment, of course. Buys the Cowboys, fires the two most important people in the franchise's history, right? Gets rid of Tom Landry, the Hall of Fame head coach. Gets rid of Tech Schramm, the Hall of Fame GM. And it's like, you know what? I, you've taken it as far as you can. I appreciate your work, boys, but I'm going to be GM now. St- installs himself as GM, hires Jimmy Johnson as head coach, wins Super Bowls, and then like just presides over this ascension to the moon in terms of like stock value and money making and all this kind of stuff. For some reason, people don't want to do that. Even, what's his name, Rob Walton, the, the guy that just bought the Broncos? Yeah. Is it Rob, his first name? Rob Walton, all of the billions in the world. That guy's got many tens of billions, you know, well in excess of being able to just like drop $4 billion on the Broncos and walk away. He's got an ownership consortium. Like, Lewis Hamilton owns a piece of the Broncos now for reasons that completely escape my understanding. So what I'm curious is, how much do you think... How many more people would Tom Brady and Peyton Manning need to bring in to buy a franchise? I think a bunch. Really? They're not billionaire status. They've got to be close, though. Because not from, like, NFL earnings necessarily, but, like, they've been With everything. endorsements in the last 20 years as Brady's well. wife, you know. Peyton Giselle Manning's helps. got himself, you know, what is it, Omaha Productions and... Dude's presumably getting a fortune from where for the TV stuff with the Manning cast. And, eh. I mean, Brady's going to Fox anyway. Also, Manning owns like 125 Papa John's restaurants or whatever. Yeah, but how good, how well can those those be doing? Probably, probably people decent. Eat, people eat pizza. All right, we've done it. It's over two hours here, Sam. Good question, though. Sam's fascinated. We need to do a, just a Sam's fascination with billionaire show. I just like a whole podcast series. I don't understand why you would why you would share the fun. You know, Sam gets into the head of it's one thing if you need the consortium, like the dude that tried to buy the Vikings and then that then bankrupted the uh, the AAF. Right. I understand why he would need a consortium because it turns out he doesn't have any of the money he says he has. Reggie, was that his name? I get why Reggie would need the consortium. Right. But if you're Rob Walton and you have 87 billion sitting in the bank, why do you need Lewis Hamilton? I don't know. Why do you? I don't know. All I know is we're three quarters of the way through the league. We're almost 
wrapped up with our season previews. We've got our Thursday show previewing all the West. Did the uh, did the house burn down? Or I think that it's not good. Hmm. I'm gonna go check out. It's not good. Um, anyway, um, I'm gonna go check in on my neighbor, and yeah, we'll be back here previewing the West. Yeah. On Thursday. Thursday. Go check out Sam's pinned tweet. And then we'll see if Sam can throw 60. On yes, do that. Go donate money to charity. And then on Monday, we will be talking to uh hashtag or not hashtag at all takes exposed. The oh, guy no. all takes exposed has written a book about the bad all takes. We're gonna have him on the podcast and uh, talk about it. You must you must have multiple chapters in this book. You would think so, right? I mean I I was front for front and center first and foremost i was there and part of it when the the tom brady is declined is done type of thing you know back in that's at least its own chapter has to be yeah back like a decade ago well i can't wait to find out if sam's got his own chapter in the old takes exposed book yeah anyway we'll be talking to him on uh, monday sounds great a lot of great stuff coming up preseason starts on thursday so uh yeah thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you again on thursday as we preview both the afc and nfc west